Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Beyond the Ropes, a boxing podcast brought to you by Easley Boxing Repeat. The place for the Northwest and boxing news, news, reviews, and interviews. Here's your host, Sean Basso. So welcome everybody to episode number 42, it's Beyond the Ropes Boxing Podcast and we're back. And I'm back with Hamed Zaman. Hamed, great to get you back on this week. Been a great weekend for boxing, we'll talk about it in a couple of moments, but how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, uh, Sean, how's it going? Uh, everything alright with you? Yeah, yeah, good as always, you know, it's been uh, it's been an eventful weekend for, for boxing as we, we've we been talking about uh, off the air, but we're going to talk a bit on the air now and we're going to cover a lot of stuff this week, so I'm just going to go through with the listeners about what we've got on this week's show, so... There's no better place to start really this week than the match room, Bill. We're going to talk about all the fights on there, all the big ones, all the uh, knockout fests that we had on that night. We're going to talk about Mikey Garcia, Robert Issa Jr. We've got that on the show today. We've got Luis Ortiz's return. And then obviously we've got next weekend show, this next-gen show in Cardiff. Close to yourself, Hamed, we've got that next-gen show to cover off as well. And we've got a couple of fights over in the USA that we've uh, we've got to cover, which will be quite interesting uh, in the light heavyweight division. So really looking forward to talking about that and I think as always I think for me the biggest uh, the biggest section of the show and the, the most exciting section I think now is is news and gossip because so much going on so many different bits of information coming out and this week's been been a cracking week for news and gossip so I'm absolutely ecstatic for talking about it this week so let's go let's get started let's get on this show and let's talk about the matchroom bill so Hamed I'm going to let you start on this matchroom bill uh, start at the top of the the bill start of the main fight White and Parker give us your thoughts on what you felt about that one uh, first things first I've got to say tremendous amount of respect to both fighters for, for putting on a fight I don't think it was the greatest fight if I'm being honest uh, I think there was some uh, dull moments and uh, moments where there was a lot of posturing and uh, wrestling going on but credit to both fighters for stepping up and actually taking the fight and credit to Dylan White for proving a lot of people wrong again actually I did pick Dylan White to win this fight 
favourite, but not many people actually did. I think Parker was the slight favourite, and for some odd reason, I'm not too sure why uh, a lot of people uh, wrote him off again. I think he's done it again. He's proved a lot of people wrong. And Dina White, a guy with not much skill or not much amateur background, has shown again that he, he could he could grind it out. I think there's a very good saying. I think someone made. Uh, he's not the most skillful, but he knows how to dig deep and show heart and. It's uh, kind of getting the trenches. Uh, as for the fight, I thought Dylan White was losing the first couple of rounds. I don't think uh, Joseph Parker had done too bad in the first three rounds, but the knockdown, I think, changed the flow of the fight and the type of fight. I, I think it was a controversial knockdown, the first knockdown. I think it was either a clash of... I think it was a headbutt followed yeah, was, by an yeah. elbow or uh, arm punch. And I think Joseph Parker could have complained about that knockdown. I think the referee and John Lewis got that wrong. I don't I think that should have been a knockdown. I think I could see some people giving it, but on, uh, based on the replay, I don't think that was a knockdown. I think in live play and boxing, I can understand that it was hard to tell if that was a knockdown. So I see why it was a knockdown. It reminded me a bit of Lucas Matisse and Danny Garcia knockdown. I think in the ninth or eleventh round, different type of knockdown. But I remember Matisse's head was stuck in the ropes, and I think the referee Tony Weeks should not have called that a knockdown because he was being uh, kind of sandwiched between the ropes, and then I think. Uh, Garcia followed it up with the left hook and the right hook and he went down but I, I thought that was a controversial knockdown I think from there on I don't think Joseph Parker uh, was very was very what's the word it was very uh, was very in the right mindset and very tactical because I think he was just going backwards he's very negative that's the word and he wasn't really he wasn't implementing his game plan he was uh, kind of uh, I think I think cautious would be the right but I think he was way too worried about uh, Dylan White was doing and kept going back and he kind of got drawn into a wrestling growling holding a fight with Dylan White and I think that suited Dylan White to the ground and Dylan White kind of just uh, bit on his gum shield and kind of uh, I think he did kind of bend the rule so I gotta say that was kind of uh, a part of the game plan as well he kind of wrestled and he kind of went physical on Joseph Parker and he used his size and weight uh, I think Dylan White did what he had to do and Joseph Parker did not do what he was meant to do he didn't follow his game plan he had, he had the faster feet he had the faster hand he probably had the more skills in the bag he had he had more dimensions but he just didn't uh, didn't stuck to his world he didn't really he didn't really want it, I think, as much as Dylan White for the majority of the fight. And then he got dropped heavy in the ninth round. I think that was a very good knockdown. Arguably one of Dylan White's best shots of his career. I think that could go down as one of his best shots. Because, I mean, that was a signature win. And that shot kind of uh, kind of resonated towards the result. Because from day on, I thought Joseph Parker needed a knockout or probably at least two knockdowns. And uh, I scored around eight rounds to four. But that was after 11 rounds. And then I think when he got to the 12th round, I think that was a great round. I gotta say, probably the highlight of the fight. I don't think the fight was the best fight. I think one of the undercard fights, which you get to, was probably better. One of the main, uh, I think, it was the chief sport was better. But the last round was a great round. It reminded me a bit of when Julio, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. 
Antonio for Sergio Martinez. I don't think it was as wide as that going into that round, but I was wondering, can Jinder White make it out? And he managed to make it out. I think Joseph Parker showed his heart, guts, uh, and re- redemption in the last round. I think if he didn't do that in the last round, I think it would have been a very bad performance, and he, he would have got cr- criticised a lot more. I think at the moment, uh, he kind of won over some people for what he showed in the last round. But I think Dilla White also showed uh, he showed heart and courage, and uh, I think he could have really uh, he could have really just uh, eked out the last round, just ran hard or kind of uh, stung it up. But he actually wanted to try and knock Parker out, and that deserves a lot of credit. Not many boxers uh, do that. I think they kind of just when they're winning, they kind of just uh, try and play safe. But Dilla White showed heart again. He went went down this time heavy. I think he was if that round was a minute longer I think he would have got knocked out if it was a 50 round fight he would have lost I think Joseph Parker had him I think he started way too late to, in terms of Joseph Parker he should have done that from round 5 or 6 onwards I'm not too sure uh, if the knockdown which the White scored in the third I think the third or second round discouraged him or kind of got him off his game plan but he started way too late and by the time he got to him he was he kind of ran out of time and uh, Dylan White just held on that's what he meant to do he kind of locked him in I think the referee was very poor that night if I'm being honest Ian John Lewis he's way too slow to break him up and in the last round he was getting manhandled uh, Joseph Parker by Dylan White and the referee's job is to break him up or have enough strength and I don't think he was strong enough to break him up and there's a lot of rabbit punches but credit to Dylan White a very good performance he put himself in the line for the world title shot great round I think the 12th round of the fight will probably be remembered for that fight good uh, knockdown from Dylan White as well I think Joseph Parker has got an iron chin and even though that was the first I think legitimately the time he'd been down I think he did get dropped early in the fight which was a controversial knockdown but this was the first time he went down heavy I think that would, shot would have knocked out the majority of the heavyweight but Parker got back up he showed a uh, and he showed that he can dig uh, deeper from that round on to the 12th round but he just didn't do enough I thought in the middle rounds and I, I scored 8 rounds to 4 to Killer White with a couple of knockdowns I think uh, getting a score total of about 115-111 I think uh, I, I think you could score maybe 7 rounds five, but I thought Dylan White clearly won that fight well, going back to the fight, Hamed, I, I agree with a lot of the points that you're making there. I think uh, he started out, Joseph Parker seemed to be taking control in the earlier rounds. Uh, the the uh, illegitimate lockdown. <laughs> lockdown. Um, yeah, it was a clash of heads, like you say. On replay, you could tell it was a clash of heads, but you can't see that at the time. Ian John Lewis had a really difficult job of... And he, actually, you could tell when watching it back, he did hesitate a little bit with that decision that he made, but... Yeah, he made the decision and he kind of had to stick with it and fair play you know it must be a difficult job being in there at the time and, and, and making that type of decision but like you said from there on the fight did sort of change and it turned around more in Dillian's favour and what I'd noticed was the negativity of Parker he seemed to be taking backward steps and and a lot of the rounds he had his hands down for a long period of time and he was letting Dillian White jab him at will and that was surprising to me as well that wasn't something I was expecting because with Joseph Parker he normally tucks up you know really tight keeps his high guard but there there he was just he was just letting him letting him down letting him take the jabs eating jabs all night basically from there the knockdown 
brilliant knockdown from Gillian White and first legitimate knockdown in Joseph Parker's career great heart to get up after that knockdown as you say it was a really really good heart for him to get up there and even in the 12th at the end there was a, there was that heart stopping moment for, for British fans really where Gillian White obviously exhausted took a few good shots off Joseph Parker took a knockdown in the 12th you know exhaustion probably played more of a part in that than anything but it did look like Dillian White was gone and he managed to sort of tussle and wrestle him and keep him there just for them remaining seconds of that round and walk out of there a deserved winner and like you say I said it before the fight I said it on last week's podcast you know he's changed since the Joshua fight he's went into that Joshua fight with loads of emotion emotion took over him in that fight and he got the better of him and he got knocked out because of it but this time round he's, he's learned from that he's learned to control his emotion he's learned when to strike when not to strike he's learned to control himself and that paid off that paid off a big time against Joseph Parker because now he's put himself in prime position to, to be in a big fight and that's where we want to see him we want to see him in another big fight because whilst people might say that he may not be you know one of the hardest punching champions out there or you know the hardest puncher in the heavyweight division or the one that's got the, the most skill he's got bags and bags and bags of heart and determination and sometimes it just gets the fighter where they need to be and, and, and you've seen it in the in the past a fighter who's not expected to win shows all that hard determination and goes out there and gets the win and Dillian White's one of them guys and he's shown it in the past few fights I think and really impressed with his performance really happy that he's got the win and really looking forward to seeing what's next for, for Dillian White on the horizon and it's something we'll talk about uh, the news and gossip section at the end of the show about Dillian White's future but I want to move on to the yeah. chi- I want to move on in the chief support Hamid chief support can I, can I ask you just one question yeah uh, go go for this fight were you, were you disappointed with with, uh, not Dilla White with Joseph Parker or were you more impressed with Dilla White because I uh, before you say that, uh, give your take I wasn't that impressed if I'm being honest with Dilla White I think he still made a lot of fundamental mistakes but I did pick him to win so uh, that's why I'm giving him big criticism I still didn't think uh, he I think he didn't really show the technical ability but I'm not too sure if he is going to be a technical uh, fluent boxer like the Sia Tyson Fury or Joshua I think he's not that technical uh, talented or skillful but I think he was lunging too much if I'm being honest and I think he he showed he could get hit way too easy that's why I wasn't that impressed I wouldn't uh, give him that high of a rating but with the stakes on offer I think he just had to win he did that and he scored a couple of knockdowns and he survived a knockdown so I'll give him credit there as well well what I think about it is it's not his greatest performance in the world and I agree with you on that but for what he had to do in that type of a fight he he had to go in the trenches for that type of a fight he had to fight a certain type of fight to ruffle Parker's feathers and whilst it wasn't probably the most entertaining for people given the chief support fight which we're going to talk about in a minute it it, for for, for me it was a it was a case of he he won ugly that's what he did he won ugly and that's that's a saying uh, that was always associated with Bernard Hopkins he won a lot of his fights ugly but he won him and I think that's what uh, Dillian White's done against Josie Parker and Josie Parker for me 
shown he, he's shown heart but it's like he, he's lost that heart it's like the heart and desire wasn't there in that fight because I think he could have done a lot more and I think he could have put White under a lot more pressure and you've seen in that last round that when he did put, her, put him under that pressure you know White did struggle obviously they were both knackered at this point exhausted they'd gone 12 yeah. rounds but he did struggle a little bit and, and as you say it wasn't the greatest of performances but he did what he had to do to win and is he, is, he, is, he, is Joseph Parker too content to lose it because he's lost now two fights and yeah. uh, he seems like he's very laid back look uh, I'm not saying that he should be crying robbery because I, I think he lost both those fights clearly uh, against Joshua and White is he the question is he too much of a guy or is he too laid back like does he need to have a bit more fire like I, I don't see I don't see the side of him that I see with other fighters. You could see did uh, like that switches on when they get in the ring. I think uh, I think he does when he when he has to dig deep. He can do it, but I see him burst. I don't see it as a full adrenaline rush from him for 36 minutes around. I think he switches off too much. It gives his opponent too much respect as well, and I think that's part of the problem. He's gone in with Joshua, giving him a bit too much respect, and he's gone in with with White, and he's obviously giving him a little bit. Too much respect as well, and I think that's what that, that's part and parcel of it. Is he is very laid back, and he's a, a really nice guy character out of the ring, and I, I think it's kind of sometimes transitions into the ring that that nice guy character kind of stays there. And I think when you're in a fight, uh, you know, as, as you've seen with certain fights on that card, you've got to be in it to you've got to be in it to win it. And he, he after the first few rounds and that obviously sort of headbutt knockdown. He, he kind of just, yeah. he, he just, like you said, he switched off. He, he switched off after that for me, and that's kind of where it started to take a, a, a turn for, for Dillian White, and then obviously the rest now, as we know, is history, as they say. So, uh, yeah, I think you're right. Um, I think we can, like, I want to cover that off at the end of the show, Hamed, and I want to talk yeah. about Dillian White's future and Josie Parker's and, and all the rest of the heavyweights at the end of the show, but I do want to get on now, and I do want to move on to the, uh, the chief support, which for me was probably the fight of the night. Night, the fight on that card uh, was Derek Chisora, Carlos Takam. Derek Chisora reigniting his boxing career with that win over Carlos Takam in the eighth round. Now, I couldn't help but write uh, an article on it, which I put out yesterday on the eatsleepboxingrepeat.com. Uh, the, the curious case of Derek Chisora. Before this fight, Hamed, I think we all agreed that this was going to be a Takam win. I think we all agreed it. And yeah. Derek Chisora, he... He just pulled off another great win, and he just seems to do it every now and again when the stakes are, the stakes are down and he's got everything riding on it. He just seems to pull it out of his backside, and he did it again. He he, he shown some tactics that now I think I don't know if you've seen that video of him sparring with uh, Bryant Jennings, and uh, they were the same tactics he used for the fight. And it was now we've seen that video of him sparring with Jennings in the lead up to this fight. Obviously, it makes sense, but on the night when I was watching it. I watched him back onto the ropes. I watched him look like he was going into survival mode quite early. And I thought to myself, is Chisora going to take a bit of a beating here? But then it seems to be he was playing... Um, I'm not going to make any comparisons here, but he was playing a bit of... Um, he, he looked a little bit rope-a-dope type style. He was he was backing himself onto the ropes. He was taking the sting out of the punches with his arms. And then he was waiting for the right time to strike with Takam. And he did. He struck at the right time. And he, he hurt Takam when he needed to hurt him. And it just seemed to be... 
you know, a similar sort of tactician style than, again, I'm not comparing this to the Ali uh, and Foreman, but the same sort of tactics as Ali used against Foreman, that's kind of what Chisora used. There, he, he, you know, he kind of backs himself onto the ropes, covers up well, takes a lot of sting out of the Takam shots, fires back, hurts the body, and then obviously we get to the eighth round and, and he starts to really step it up and then we see him get the first knockdown, Takam does well to get up, and then we see him walk straight back onto that right hand of Delroy Chisora's and the fight's over and everyone's just shocked because nobody expected Chisora to win this fight nobody at all I think I said Takam points last week I don't know if that's what you said as well I can't remember but uh, I think we I think we I think we both agreed Takam was going to sort of walk away here uh, as the winner but Delboy Chisora what a story at 34 years of age and he's still got something to give in this game what did you make of the fight then Hamed give me your assessment of it uh, I kind of uh, I kind of will won't be able to talk about this fight too much because I didn't really watch the whole fight. I had a lot of technical issues with my phone, and uh, I was planning to go out and watch it, but something came up, so I had to stay in. I I couldn't really have any access to watching this fight because I was unsure if I'd be able to watch it. Uh, one of my siblings was um, was gonna st- stream the Dilla White uh, Joseph Parker fight, which he did on the IPT player, and so I wasn't gonna pay for it. And managed to watch that fight. I think he said he didn't want to. He wasn't sure and didn't want to watch the Chisora attack and fight. I think he might have ended up watching it, but I wasn't sure what was going on. So I didn't watch the full fight. I like this. Uh, I read about what happened. I'm not, I've seen what I've seen what kind of fight they were. I've seen the last one. A great credit to uh, got to give Chisora credit. I mean that was probably one of the greatest uh, upsets or comeback uh, in the recently in a British boxing ring. Uh, especially for heavyweights, I've never really seen uh, uh, such a remarkable comeback slash uh, I, victory coming out of nowhere. I, I didn't think Chisora had any to do this. Uh, he did put up a good fight with Dilla White, which could have went either way. Uh, could have been a draw, I think, as well. But that was a couple of years ago, and people thought that was kind of the last hurrah. I think he had a fight in Monaco, and he lost that fight. And people thought that he was kind of on the slide. I think he was, and he probably still is. Uh, a lot of people thought he was faded. And uh, Takam is a durable guy. I thought Takam would probably win this as well. I didn't make any official predictions, but I thought uh, I was kind of lenient towards Takam being the slight favourite. Uh, I did say both teams fight were hard to predict. I thought the Dilla White uh, Joseph Parker fight was a bit easier to predict in terms of I thought I've seen enough of Parker and I've seen enough of uh, Dilla White know what type of fight it was don't get me wrong it wasn't as easy to predict as other fights I've been but with this fight I didn't know what we're going to get with Chidora and what does Chidora do he rolls it up and he shocks a lot of people in a great fight I think this stole the show it was a great fight I've seen clips of the fight uh, a great round that last round is great I can't believe he actually stopped Sakam and the way he stopped him as well it was a very good knockout two knockdowns and uh, the question that I've kind of got to pose is what does this say about Joshua? I mean, Joshua beats Parker and Takam. I don't think he dropped Parker and he beat him on decision and he did beat Takam, but I thought that was a very controversial knockout. I was at both those fights in Cardiff and I thought uh, the Takam fight would probably have went the distance. Uh, I didn't think he stopped him legitimately. I think that was a kind of, uh, I, I don't I don't want to say bogus, but it was a very controversial and bad stoppage. One of the worst stoppages I've seen recently and I think Takam might have touched the mat once but Joshua at no point did he 
did he look like he was going to stop him? Does this show that Joshua might not be good as he once was, or is not the same man he was prior to that Klitschko fight and prior to that shot that landed uh, on his chin from Klitschko? It's it's a difficult one to say, I think, Ahmed, uh, because they're two different style of fighters. I think and Joshua's boxer puncher, and then I think you've got like the Chisora there, who's uh, more of a brawler, really, and uh, heavy-handed brawler. And I think I think it's it's, it's always going to be compared. People are always going to sit down and say, well, hang on a minute, and Joshua couldn't knock these two guys out. But, yeah, you've seen Dillian White drop him, uh, Parker, you've seen Chisora knock out Carlos Takam. What does that say about Andy Joshua? Well, read into it what you will, I would say, because we're going to see some big fights for Andy Joshua. Regardless of whether he wins, loses or draws these fights, he's got Povetkin next, potentially Wilder in the future, potentially Jarrell Miller. You know, there's loads of big fights for us to talk about. Uh, I, I, I don't want to speculate too much on it, to be honest, because I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's sort of fair to really sort of compare because they're two different style of fighters. Um you know, he, you know, Joshua, a bit of a bigger guy, boxes, punches, Chisora brawls, gets on the inside, throws a short overhand right, gets the gets the knockout. It's just one of them. As soon as you land on on your chin, you know. I don't, I, going back to that uh, Takam Joshua fight, I don't think as as much was landing cleanly uh, as what Chisora was landing on Takam, and I think that's that's what made the difference. You know, Joshua were able to really land anything majorly clean on him. He was he was getting hitting him on the top of the head, but he wasn't. He wasn't really getting him in the sweet spot, and uh, Chisora did. He got him right in the sweet spot on the chin, and and maybe that's what's made the difference here. But I don't want to speculate too much on it. But overall, for me, Hamed, I was uh, I, I was shocked, I was pleased, and uh, it just opens, keeps that division open. I think, and it keeps it exciting. Yeah. It keeps it exciting. It keeps it keeps you wondering what's going to happen next. And I think at the end of the show, as I've said, I think we uh, I think we should do a bit of a roundup and uh, talk about uh, Dilly and why Andy Joshua Derek Chisora you know and then we'll talk about this next fight as well now uh, to move on Hamed and talk about another heavyweight fight which was uh, more of a domestic heavyweight fight in Dave Allen and Nick Webb so you had obviously Nick Webb there undefeated fighter steps up fights Dave Allen on short notice Dave Allen was the last chance saloon for him in this fight he said he was going to retire at the age of 26 after being in tough grueling fights against Luis Ortiz Tony Yoko he lost to recently and you kind of think to yourself, yeah, Nick Webb's going to win this one, and what happens? Dave Allen knocks him out, and <laughs> we get another shock, and we get another uh, another exciting heavyweight fight. And uh, I was uh, I was chuffed for Dave Allen because he's uh, he's such a nice guy out of the ring, and you know he might not be uh, the, the the greatest boxer in the world, but I tell you what, he's certainly he's certainly been in with some great fighters recently, and uh, he's certainly got a decent resume over the past two years. And for him to go in there and beat Nick Webb. Uh, and then do it in the fashion that he's done. Uh, he's just opening up the division again domestically for for people like Dave Allen. He's he's, he's now got an opportunity now where you could actually say you could start throwing him in now with uh, all these other big boys in the division. Debray, Nathan Gorman. Uh, there's talk of him fighting Lucas Brown now. So it's Dave Allen's really really sort of opened up opportunities again for himself. Just when you think it is the end for Dave Allen, and you think to yourself, well, I lost to Nick Webb. Here means he's really going to go right down, right down the pecking order in the British rankings and the domestic level and then he goes and pulls that and wow there we go another great another great fight there another great win and uh, another shock on the card and again Hamed over to you what do you make of uh, the win for Dave Allen the fashion he won in and uh, where he goes 
I'm going to say this was uh, probably the biggest upset of the card, I'm uh, going to say. Uh, I don't think many people saw Dave Allen winning this fight. First of all, he, he is a great character. I mean, I don't see how you can't dislike this guy. This is interview after the fight. He is a genuinely funny guy, a great character. One of the probably biggest characters in the game. Very remarkable person. Very nice guy as well. And to cap it off, this should probably go down as his best or biggest victory of his career. On was it two one or two weeks notice he managed to beat a, a highly dangerous undefeated prospect in Nick Webb uh, who I don't think was probably as good as some people probably thought but nonetheless uh, I don't think many people thought Dave Allen was going to knock him out and he actually knocked him out pretty bad I seen the knockout the right hand was a beautiful shot once that landed there was lights out for Nick Webb I think he tried getting up and he went down again um, I think Dave Allen might have just uh, kind of ruined his career because I think Nick Webb uh, was on the cusp of getting a big fight with one of these other prospects like Joe Joyce or uh, I think they were talking about Dubois or Joyce I think uh, if I'm correct uh, I think the Dubois fight they were trying to get first but then I think there was talk of him and Joe Joyce fighting at the O2 this past weekend but that was a great win for Dave Allen I, I'm not too sure where he goes from here I think that was a great knockout I think he's been unlucky and unfortunate in a lot of his fights, but just to look at the heavyweight scalp and picture of the domestic scene, I don't think I've ever seen it like this. I mean, you've got AJ number one, you've got four of the major, well, four of the five belts, three of the four major belts. You've got Tyson Fury, the linear champion. You've got Bellu still around the heavyweight. You've got Dylan White, Derek Chizoro, both win at the weekend. You've got two very young prospects who look uh, very good and healthy and look like they're going to be the future in the next couple of years. I certainly Dubois was still very younger. Then you got Joe Joyce, so I think he's a bit older uh, in his early 30s, but he looks like a very good prospect. And then you got Hugh Fury still around. And, I mean, you got Dave Allen now, who's in the top 10. Uh, I think maybe a, a British title fight might be next. Uh, I still think that he's not a bad fighter. I mean, he went 10 rounds, I think, with Dylan White. Uh, I think he... I think his conditioning and his maybe regiment or training could be a bit better. I think maybe if he's a bit more disciplined and stayed in the gym a bit longer, he could be a bit better than he was because I think he put up a good fight with uh, Dilla White. I, I thought he done not too bad with Luis Ortiz as well before the stoppage. I mean, Luis Ortiz showed at the weekend that he is probably arguably the out of the top two, probably the third or fourth best heavyweight in the world. He's definitely the boogeyman of the heavyweight division. And I thought Dave Allen kind of stuck in in there with him and uh, I think a lot of people are saying that Luis Ortiz was kind of flat or didn't look that good that night I, I just think Dave Allen might be a bit better than some people think I think he's not a bad fighter for a guy that who seems like uh, he's been very much very unlucky and misfortunate with some of the, the decisions in the ring I think uh, one of the fights ended in a no contest and uh, I think uh, maybe he could have one or two more fights left in him I think he did lose to uh, recently to Tony Yoka from France who, who looks like a uh, 
not a bad heavyweight himself. I think he was the Olympian or the Olympic gold medalist in the last Olympics. And uh, there's no shame losing to someone like that. I just think a lot of people will give him Dave Allen thick because he wasn't in that great shape. But he's a walking out idea. I mean, he's a great character. I'd like to see him maybe fight again because I think that was probably a very good win. Uh, arguably the best victory of the night. I did not see that one coming. I thought two weeks' notice he'd probably end up getting knocked out or stopped or losing. But I thought a lot of people were high in Nick Webb. But I was kind of high as well. I've seen clips of him. Uh, I don't think he was as good as some people thought, but uh, nonetheless, I thought Nick Webb was a very good prospect who was up and coming. So, uh, Dave Allen shocks shocks Webb in a shocker that no one saw coming. Yeah, no. Well, going on then, Hamed, let's look at the uh, Conor Ben fight and uh, Paynard, Cedric Paynard rematch uh, from December last year. What a life and death fight that was in December last year, and a lot of criticism Conor Ben took, saying he's you know he's he's never going to be anything, he's never going to be good, he can't even get past the journeyman in Paynard, he struggled with him, his eyes were a mess the next day. It's all true, that is all true, but this fight told us a different story. This fight told us that Conor Ben has improved. Conor Ben still is raw, still is a bit ragged, still needs work, but a lot of people are forgetting the guy is only 21 years of age age 21 years of age and people are expecting him because of the name to be able to go in there and do what his father did you've got to remember Nigel Ben you know was at a, a, a much further on stage of his career before he really started to take off and I think we need to give Connor a chance here and I was I was happy to see him get back to boxing basics on Saturday night yeah it looked a bit rocky in the first three rounds he may have got engaged a little bit too much at times but I think as the fight went on he, he, he did kind Calm down. He did stick to his boxing, and you could see the difference in the fight because of the way he stuck to his boxing. He used the jab. He struck. He threw the shots when he needed to throw him. He landed him when they wanted, you know, when they needed to be land. And I, I was overall, I, I was impressed. I felt he improved. Uh, I was impressed with his improvement. That, that's, I think, the words I'm looking for here is, I was impressed with his improvement. I'm not saying it's punch perfect performance because it isn't. He made mistakes. He's still raw. He's still ragged. He's still needs to learn but that was a lot of a better a lot better performance than it was against Paynard in December yeah. and first time he went first time he went over six rounds as well this was a 10 round fight and he went the full distance and he deserved the win and as I've said he gets a lot of criticism everyone's always going to compare him to his dad which I understand but he's a different type of fighter I think I don't think he's the the same fighter his dad was I don't think he's the, 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 the he's trying to be rugged he's trying to be raw but I just don't think he's that same fighter as what his dad was and I think he needs to stick to what he's good at which is his boxing skills and when he boxed against Paynard he looked really good I was I was quite impressed with his performance so yeah. going back to Conor Ben then uh, Hamid what do you think yeah. about him? Uh, I didn't watch the fight uh, I'll have probably a couple of questions to ask you about this. But yeah, go for it. I think he's still a prospect. I still, I still think he's a prospect. I thought the first fight was a great fight, but I think he kind of brought him down to reality. I think he's got a long way to go before he thinks about emulating or even getting near what his dad achieved. I don't think many people think he achieved what his dad achieved. If he could achieve about a quarter to a half of what his dad achieved, I'd become a world champion and to beat some names. 
I think that's more than enough. Uh, I think the first fight was tough. I'm not too sure what that t- has taken out of him. I would like to probably rewatch that first fight uh, as well as I'll try and catch up with uh, with this fight, the rematch, uh, hopefully this week as well. Because I think that first fight kind of uh, he had to go through some adversity and answer some questions. He hit the deck for the first time. He got dropped heavy. Uh, in return, he dropped his opponent a couple of times, and he won a decision. I think it was a close decision, which could have went either way. Some people thought Peinard deserved to win. Uh, my question is, how far is he away from a world title fight or a European title fight? And has he still got a lot of work to do before he could think about either one of those titles? I, th- I think the title he won uh, was a WBA international title, if I'm correct. I could be I could be wrong, but I think it was a WBA international title that he won. Uh, basically, about to, to sort of get him into into sort of rankings positions and. I think European level, I don't think he's there yet, I'll be honest, and I'll say he's not even, he's probably not even domestic level yet, I think, I think he's got a little bit of a way, maybe three or four fights before I'd say he's ready for domestic titles, and I think Europeans, you know, are probably a good eight or nine fights off, I mean, I want him to do well because of the admiration I had. Uh, for his father and as a fan of his father I obviously naturally want him to do well but I don't want him to be rushed and I think what's happening in the previous few fights is that he is being rushed a little bit and yeah he's always going to have the Ben name and the stigma against that name which is an exciting fighter he was in life and death fights in his career but I think Conor Ben needs a little bit more work and he's in the right camp they're doing the right things, they improved on this fight and obviously I know you didn't get a chance to watch it Hamed but it Basically, if, if, if I can summarise it, really, it's uh, an improved performance than than the first fight, and I think that's sort of there's nothing more I can really say about it. I'm not going to try and polish a third and say it was an amazing fight because it wasn't. He made some mistakes in it in the earlier rounds. He got engaged a little bit too much with Paynard, and there was times where he looked rocky and times where you thought, "Is he going to get drops here again?" But no, to his credit, he did well. He stuck to his boxing game uh, and he outboxed Paynard. Uh, over the course of the 10 rounds then you know he moves on now and I think for me as, as as a guy that wants him to do well I think the next steps are to start looking at other domestic opponents now and uh, start looking at uh, you know in the rankings and who's around in that division and and, and, okay. and, and, and where, where to go from there and I think that's that's my sort of take on Conor Ben at the moment um, okay I got I just got one or two more things to add on this uh, do you think he's got a long way to go before he could think about being a pay-per-view headliner because I think Sky might be like you said they try, uh, some people are trying to rush him I get the feeling Sky will put a lot of hype uh, around him and some people are beginning to think is he a hype job or is he real I mean I think uh, it's unfair to uh, question that at the moment I think we need to see uh, his career play out and let him develop as a fighter and as a man I think he's still a kid I think he is about 21 uh, as a pay-per-view fighter do you think he could become Sky Sports or match the next pay-per-view fighter because I think there's a lot of hype around him and I think uh, trying uh, comparing him and the transition between him and Chris Eubank Jr if you compare Chris Eubank Jr to Senior I remember there was a lot of hype around him and he managed to become a pay-per-view fighter even though I don't uh, think he really is a pay-per-view fighter if you know what I mean I yeah. don't think some of those fights should have been pay-per-view or warranted but he managed to get himself into a position where he's fighting on pay-per-view do you think uh, Conor Ben could uh, become that or and 
or how long will it take before he could be a pay-per-view star? I think he needs a couple of years. I think he's been boxing two years now. This is his second year. He's into his second season, going into his third season of boxing now. And he's had 13 fights, nine knockout victories. Uh, if you look at his record, you look at the nine knockout victories, they are against people that are novice, novice pros. Uh, we've, we've sort of a couple of losing records, a couple of 50-50 records on there. So it's about experience. And whilst it looks good on paper about saying he's had 13 fights and nine KOs, really, the level of opposition, is uh, not as great as, as what his record may suggest uh, in terms of, of, of the oversight of it. So for me, it's about him continuing to gain that experience. I think within the next two years, get, get him to about 20, 21 fights. And I think that's where we will actually expect him to start saying, you know, you're sort of European level now. And, and this is where you're going to start looking at potentially putting yourself into the world rankings. I mean, in Britain, he's ranked seventh. In, in Britain at the moment and you've got people like Tyrone Nurse around him you've got Gary Corker and Johnny Gart and Bradley Skeet and Josh Kelly you know these are the types of people that are ranked around him and you know you've got you've got potential fighters here you know looking through through, through who else is around you've got you've got guys like Drew Brown who won the Ultimate Boxer Tournament recently you know he's he's actually ranked below uh, Conor Ben and he's had he's had 10 fights and he's undefeated and he won, he was one of the Ultimate Boxer you've got Luther Clay, uh, who won on the World Boxing Super Series. You know what? You've even got Darren Tetler, who's sixteen and zero at the moment, who had that great win over Mason Cartwright a couple of months ago on the Selby Warrington undercard. Yeah. You know, these are the types of guys that are below him in the rankings. So they're the types of fights you, you want to see him have in the next year, in the next eighteen months, before you can actually say, right, I want to move him up to world level. Because let's look at the world level with Conor Ben, and let's look at who's around. It's uh, it's a pretty pretty stacked division you know I mean let's let's look at the, the the top end of that division and this is way 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 off but you're talking like Manny Pacquiao Terence Crawford Errol Spence Danny Garcia Sean Porter Jeff Horn Jesse Vargas Lamont Peterson Adrian Broner they're the types of names that are up at the top ends of that division that he's campaigning in at the moment and you look at that now and you think to yourself wow that's about three years away before you'll see Conor Ben and that's probably around about the right amount of time getting to 20 21 fights answering your question Hamed getting to the point of what you was asking me and do I see him being a future pay-per-view star if if they guide him down the right path with the right fights at the right time yes uh, but it depends on how they do it and if they do it as we want them to do it or whether they try to rush him into these pay-per-view fights too soon because I think he'd be I think at this moment in time based on what I've seen he'd come unstuck and I think we'd see him pick up the loss and maybe more than one loss not to say I don't think he'll improve and and get better in the future because I think he's got a lot of time a lot of time I feel like I'm ranting now Uh, I feel like I'm ranting about it it's like it's like it's it's, it's 21 Hamed he's 21 years of age by the time he's 25 By the time he's 25, he'll have fully matured as a man yeah. and into that division. So, yeah, I think we, I think people are kind of pushing him a little bit too far too soon. I I agree. I think people are kind of jumping the gun. I think that was a good assessment. 
I just was going to add one more. I'm just looking at the rankings. You've got uh, Conor Banner, number seven, on Doctrick. You've got Tyrone Mace, as you said, Paddy Gallagher, Gary Coker, and Johnny Gartard, and Bradley Skeet, and Josh Kelly, number one. Who out of those guys would you say would be the next uh, trajectory career move for him if he's going to stay in that, that path and try and, say, go for a British title or try and climb up the ladder? Who out of those guys would you like to see him fight next? <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I don't at this moment in time. I don't see him beating any of them. That, that's that's my honest assessment. I don't see him beating any of them fighters at the moment. Really? I, th- I don't. I think. I think. That, I, I think there's fighters. I think there's fighters below him, Hamed, in that ranking that you're that we're looking at on box right there. There's fighters below him that I think could probably really give him a tough night and possibly beat him. That's true. I, I really yeah, do. There's Chris Congo. Yeah, there's Chris Congo, who's a very good fighter. There, I think. So, I mean, obviously, it's box uh, version of uh, ranking. So, I don't always say that's uh, as, as accurate as it possibly could be that's just what they put their rankings at and I know obviously people use it as the bible of boxing at the moment but I don't really say that's a true reflection really I mean what are you basing yeah. what are you basing Conor Ben being ranked at 7th in the welterweight division domestically are you basing that on the fact he's got a 13-0 record with 9 knockouts I mean you look at the fight I think of- I think that's a very good point because I think Chris Congo could be ranked ahead of him he's a very good prospect I've seen and he looks like more of a developed season prospect who, who looks like uh, he's 25 who looks like he's probably a bit more I'd say a bit more further in the career path I, I don't think uh, Conor Ben has plateaued or peaked yet I think he's I think he's kind of he's kind of a baby as a in in this stage of his career I think he's still got a lot to learn he's still a kid and uh, I agree with you I think uh, I'm quite surprised you don't think he beats any of those guys uh, I think he could maybe beat one or two of those guys who give him trouble um, I think that's interesting uh, I'm not too sure though I'm not convinced he beats all of them so I'm not saying he will beat all of them but I think he could beat maybe one or maybe two of them but I agree I, I don't think he's ready for the top guys I'm just looking at the top uh, couple of fighters uh, domestically I think they're a lot more ahead in their career path than I think Conor Ben. Yeah, no, I, th- I think we'll leave it there with Conor Ben. I think um, everyone that's listening to this episode will, I think they'll agree with a lot of the points that we're saying, and I think it's uh, it's good, sort of good, a good note to end it on at the moment, I think, and uh, let let people sort of digest what we've said there about that one and uh, move on a little bit. And I think uh, I just want to touch on um, Anthony Fowler's uh, win over Craig O'Brien. Craig O'Brien, a friend of the podcast, he's been on here before. So has Anthony Fowler, funnily enough. We've both had him on at previous points of uh, the podcast in the past six months but it was uh, an evenly matched fight on paper Anthony Fowler walked away the victor with a cracking left hook at the start of the sixth round uh, Fowler's looks like he's improved for me um, I don't know if you watched it again Hamed did you manage to watch that one or not I think I've seen a clip of the knockout it was a really good knockout kind yeah. of a vicious knockout yeah, yeah uh, it was <laughs> it really was I, I yeah, I, I never really watched the full fight though. Right. Well, I, I watched the full fight, and all I can say is Anthony Fowler has improved from his last fight. Another fighter that gets a lot of stick on social media, and basically people telling him he isn't going to make it, he isn't going to do this, he isn't going to do that. But <laughs> um, that's a social media fire, I suppose. But I mean, compared to his last couple of fights, he, he's, he has improved. He had a good fight with Craig O'Brien. Uh, commiserations to Craig. But 
you know, Fowler moves on now and uh, talking about Anthony Fowler and, and, and you know, where he's going to go from there. I'd like to see him in a few more a uh, few more learning fights before they start moving him on. And the, I think they're moving him at the right pace at the moment. I think uh, they, they're putting him in with the right type of fighters, the right people. And I think uh, he's one that's going to be a bit of a slow burn. But I think when he does explode into these big fights, he's going to be in some really, really good fights in the future. Anthony Fowler. But that's, f- uh, for me, um, I don't want to touch too much yeah. on, the, on the on the rest of it uh, Hamed but obviously yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think there's anything more to add I'm just going to add one more thing you had, you made a good point uh, Conor Ben and Anthony Fowler being in lost I think it's more to do with uh, who they signed to I think the matchroom sky being the biggest players uh, domestically promotion wise and uh, channel platform uh, is why I think they're probably getting a lot of stick money wise it is the biggest probably deals uh, that a lot of these fighters sign with Matchroom up the, by far the biggest promoters or promotion company in this country and Sky by far the biggest uh, channel platform for boxing I think maybe that's where some of the stick could get I don't think it's fair if I'm being uh, honest I think it's unfair I think you need to let the prospects uh, develop if I'm being honest I'd like to see some of these prospects maybe be tested a bit more maybe be put in better fights. I think some of them, or maybe a lot of them, don't really get the rounds of fight they need. I know it's early in the career and some of the early fights, but I think uh, I think he, uh, Eddie Hearn could maybe take a leaf out of someone like Mick Hennessy's book. I think with his prospects in the past, like, uh, for example, Tyson Fury, I think I said this on one of the other podcasts recently, uh, the way he was uh, matched up in his first 12-30 fights was really good. And I think that's how maybe Hearn and Matchroom could do it. I think he did do it Conor Ben with that fight against Pinard in the first fight. I'd like to see more of that type of matchmaking with his other prospects. Yeah, yeah, I think I'd agree with that. I think that's a fair statement to make. Uh, I don't want to touch on these other fights too much, but obviously for the sake of the listeners, we know Katie Taylor picked up a uh, a great stoppage in the third round, I think it was, and Joshua Boazzi in the first or second. So another two matchroom fighters there that did really well. But I think the uh, the fights that we've covered on that show were the really, for me, the, 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 the show-stealing fights and the ones that I really wanted to cover in depth. Um, not that I don't want to uh, cover Katie Taylor. I think there's uh, another time and a place. I think it was quite routine for uh, and Joshua Boazzi again. Uh, quite a routine uh, stoppage win for him there. And I don't think there's too much to sort of talk about with them two at this moment in time. But I wanted to move on and I wanted to go over to the USA action. Two big fights over in America last weekend. Let's start at the top. Let's start with Mikey Garcia beating Robert Easter Jr. over 12 rounds to become a unit champion, he's now the IBF champion at lightweight and he's uh, he's, he's looking at moving up as well um, which is interesting and I was surprised uh, to hear that in the post fight interview that he's looking at moving up and wants to fight with Errol Spence Jr. up at Welterweight which I don't think a lot of people was expecting him to come out after that fight and say that I think they all was expecting him to say I want to fight Lomachenko but just my assessment on the fight quickly Hamed before I pass it over to you uh, Raiki Garcia again, I thought he'd walk away with this win and he did he, he looked really good against Robert Easter Jr he, he dropped him in the third he seemed to hurt him on numerous occasions in, throughout the fight and he got a you know a definitive points decision there and again it just looks like he's you know a guy that's, that's that needs to be in these elite fights now he's, he's he's sort of walking through the other champions and for me he needs a big fight he needs a big big fight and I think if he's planning on moving up to welterweight 
any monster fighter or Spence Jr. Wow, yeah, why not? We'll go for it. Is it too much of a jump for him? Yeah, maybe not. I think he's a guy that can probably take his uh, his speed and his power up up the weights with him. I think, and uh, I think if if it's any any time's good to do it, I think now's the time for him. He's going. It'll be his fortieth fight. His next fight, he, he needs to be in them huge, huge fights now. I think, and uh, Errol Spence Jr. will be a cracking one for him. I'll be a bit gutted if he never gets that Lomachenko fight. If that never happens, uh, it looks like Lomachenko's going in a different direction from what I've been reading this week on social media. But going back to Garcia and, and and what he gives to the game at the moment fantastic fantastic fighter and good really good performance dropping the IBF champion Pop nearly could have stopped him goes 12 rounds wins the fight becomes a unified champ and uh, Hamed over to you what did you make of Garcia uh, what do you think about this talk of moving up a weight well two uh, I talked about this on another podcast. I think it was on the Leave It In The Ring with Gabriel Montoya and David Duenas on Monday. Uh, I did watch the fight. I think I missed the first couple of rounds. Uh, I kind of I had something to do with them. When I got back, the fight kind of started, I think, earlier than it was. Uh, I missed the knockdown. I've seen the highlights of it. I think they were a very good knockdown. I think Mikey Garcia showed that by far he's... Uh, one of the biggest punches in those weight classes between 135 and 140. Uh, I think Robert East uh, Jr. put on a decent fight. I don't think it was close. I think Mikey Garcia clearly won. Um, I think Robert East showed some, some. I wouldn't say flaws, if is the correct word, but I think he showed some uh, kind of tactics uh, or type of game plan you can use to beat uh, Mikey Garcia. I think the jab is one thing. I think fast hands, uh, someone like Lomachenko could probably exploit that. I think Portworth as well. But going back to Mike Garcia, I think he's, he's a very good fighter. Pound for pound, one of the best in the team. Top five, six for sure. I think he sits on his punch as well. I think he's a very well all-rounded fighter. I think he sits on his shots well. He knows how to pivot and move out, uh, move out the way when he needs to. Uh, it was a good performance. Uh, I think if he stopped Robert Easter, I would have probably given him a A. I think I'd probably give him a B, maybe plus for that performance. Uh, I think he could have maybe done a bit more better. I expected a, a kind of stoppage or at least a late down, but I'm not too sure if that's down to Robert Easter. Slightly being better than I think some people, including myself, give credit for in some of his uh, past performances. I don't think he showed uh, uh, his true colours or I think he might have fought down to his level. But I was going for Mikey Garcia. I'd like to see him for Lomachenko. I think he's unified the 135 division now against Robert Easter. He's won a division at 140 against Sergei Lipanets, who's a very good quality champion, who was a quality champion at 140. I think 147 is a bridge too far against... Uh, uh, Errol Spence Jr. This could end badly. I think Spence is way too big, too strong. He's uh, arguably a, a boils down junior middleweight, uh, making welterweight. I think Spence, by far, along with Cal Brook, was the biggest welterweight uh, for a while. I think Brook moved up now, and uh, Spence is the biggest by far welterweight at the weight class. I think uh, I'm not too sure how long he'll be a one welterweight for for a while. I think he will move up eventually. 
I'd like to see Mikey Garcia fight Lomachenko, and I'd like to see Spence fight Crawford. I, I see a scenario with uh, Mikey Garcia and Spence, uh, more of, I think, uh, uh, Mikey Garcia kind of looking at it. And I think uh, maybe I'd say uh, no-lose situation. I think if he moves up and he loses and he puts on a decent fight, it could be like a Cal Brook and uh, Triple G, Gennady Golovkin situation where he kind of prides himself in glory by uh, daring to be great because that's what he's doing and he'll get probably credit even if he loses that fight because I, I don't see how you could criticize him even if he loses because Spence is two weight classes and actually bigger and here is a guy in Mikey Garcia who started at a featherweight I think 126 because I think this fight um, is a a, 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 a mismatch on paper the size is different is way too much but I mean Mikey Garcia you never know he could give, give him trouble Spence can be on but uh, like I said before, against Cal Brook at times, I thought Brook was in there and caught him with some good shots. I thought Campo was in there outboxing him at times before he got dropped and struck with a body shot. I thought Peterson kind of hung in there, although all three of those guys got beaten up uh, quite badly in the end, especially Peterson and Campo and Brook as well. He got his eye socket broken, but uh point is, I think Mikey Garcia could possibly have a chance. I mean, remember when Pacquiao went up to fight De La Hoya? No one gave him a chance, but uh, I don't think uh, El Spence is De La Hoya, who I thought was a shadow himself, who I thought was weakened and should never have gone down to 147. He was uh, arguably a middleweight. He won a world title middleweight, boiling himself down to 154, and he was a natural, big, big, big uh, 154 pound fighter, and... Uh, that was literally him moving two weight classes down from middleweight, I thought, because I, I thought he was like a small middleweight type, big junior middleweight, making the 154 uh, weight class. And him moving down to welterweight was basically him moving two weight classes down and Pacquiao moving two up. And I thought that was the day the La Hoya towards the end of his career and Pacquiao in his prime. With this, I think Spence is in his prime. And whether or not Mikey Garcia is 38 and all and in his prime, the size difference matters. And size matters and that's why we have weight classes I'd like to see Mike Garcia and Lomachenko fight if that doesn't materialize I don't think it is I want to see Mike Garcia step up to the plate and fight uh, Pacquiao and I'd like to both of those guys to get together and actually uh, fight either 140 and 147 and I think that's probably a fair fight and I think that's a very good fight I could see either man winning uh, I see Pacquiao I see Pacquiao having a chance of winning that fight and arguably could probably even stop Mike Garcia. I don't think uh, Pacquiao is that much bigger. I think the size difference won't be that much of a factor. But that's the fight I'd like to see if there's no Lomachenko. Yeah, no, I'd agree with you on everything there. And uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, the speculation always comes every day on social media, doesn't it? So we get to see so much going on. And uh, we'll have to just keep our eyes peeled on <laughs> Twitter and social media and see what happens uh, over the next few weeks and whether we hear anything more about it but on that same bill Hamed was Luis Ortiz's return stopping his opponent Razvan Korgjanu in the second round showing that he is still a big player in the division and again I'll cover I think we'll cover this at the end of the show about potential fights in the future with some of the British contingent guys but yeah we come back he gets a stoppage and puts him right back in that picture and you start mentioning him along the, along the lines of a potential fights with White, Chisora, Fiore, Wilder, Joshua, I mean all these fights again, Ortiz is more than capable of going back in there and doing the job, uh, we, we know 
I've seen a great one of the fights of the year this year with Ortiz and Wilder and you know he was unlucky in that fight but he looked good Again, he's, he can only look as good as what he's put what's put in front of him, and I don't think he was a po- his opponent was that great of an opponent for for him. It just made him look good in his comeback fight. But I think Ortiz is a guy that we will see in another big fight again, if not the back end of this year, definitely the start of next year. And you know, it's for me quite possibly going to be a White Ortizora. I think it's going to be one of them two. He's going to get that fight with Ortiz uh, out of this year, next year. But he, he looked all right. I mean. I mean, it's hard to sort of sit there and say I can't. I can't sort of blow the guy's trumpet at the moment because he's come back and had an easy win, really, and he had a fantastic fight with Wilder, and it's the best I've seen Ortiz, and I want to see more. I want to want to see more of Ortiz because I do think he's a very, very good fighter, and I was slagging him off before the Wilder fight, and then that Wilder fight just completely changed my opinion on on him as a fighter, and he's shown heart, shown determination, and I do want to see him in another big fight. But we'll uh, we'll wait and see. What, what comes of it uh, just a quick word then for you Hamed on, on Luis Ortiz and his, right. his win over the weekend uh, I, I don't think it was as easy as opponent as some people are making and let's not forget Razvan Janu went 12 rounds with Joseph Parker I mean he virtually lost nearly every round but he managed to go 12 rounds with Joseph Parker I'm not too sure if that's down to Joseph Parker pointing down to his level or it wasn't as good as some thought or isn't as the elite uh, heavyweight I think Luis Ortiz is clearly clearly levels ahead of someone like Kajanu and is clearly a top 3-4 heavyweight the only guys I see ahead of him at the moment is Wilder Joshua arguably Povetkin Fury if he's at his best uh, I think you could still put Fury maybe ahead of him because he is the linear champion but back to Ortiz I think he's the boogeyman I think he could have probably given Joshua Fitz if they fought that fight didn't happen I think Eddie Hain kind of swerved the mando with the WBA for one reason or not, uh, I think uh, people can, can draw their own conclusions. But Ortiz, uh, this is an odd one. I think he's uh, very old, but he fights like ages and uh, nothing but a number. Because I mean, he's uh, I've heard he's in his late forties, and I think there is some uh, evidence he is oh much older than he is. Uh, I think he might be close to fifty. But the way he fights, uh, he's definitely a top heavyweight. I like to see him fight. Uh, maybe Joseph Parker if, if we can't get one of Chizora or White I don't think the White fight will happen if not I won't mind Jaron Miller Joseph Parker or Jaron Miller if he can't get the fight with Chizora or White I think something could happen if uh, Walder doesn't fight uh doesn't fight Joshua or Fury or someone like that next. I think Joshua, uh, or Joshua, I mean, I think uh, Wilder could be forced to have a rematch with Ortiz. The first fight was great. I think they could sell it. And I mean, I think a lot of people will want to watch that rematch again. But yeah, Ortiz, I've always rated him. I'm not too sure why some people were touting him. I think he had some subpar performances uh, against guys who were in survival mode like Malik Scott. But he done a real number on Brian Jennings and uh, the way he knocked out. Um, well, he knocked out Tony Thompson as well. He's very skillful. He's by far, I think, the most talented heavyweight outside uh, the top two, arguably, uh, Walden Joshua. And he's arguably probably more skillful than someone like Walden. Showed in the fight. I thought he was winning that fight, yeah. But I'd like to see him fight one of the guys I've mentioned. I've got nothing more to add to that. Well, Ahmed, let's, uh, let's put that to bed now. A bumper weekend that we just had. And let's go to this weekend then. Let's move on. Uh, the show this weekend uh, in British TV is the Next Gen Show. And it's in your hometown of Cardiff. Which uh, 
we've just been talking about again earlier on before we started this podcast we're talking about trying to see if we can get you there if possible it'd be good if we can get you there but uh, I'm not holding out any hope it's it's Wednesday and the uh, fights are on Saturday and uh, Matchroom usually have a cut off date for their applications for accreditation but it would have been good to get you there however it'll be there it'll be on Sky Sports we'll get to watch it uh, main event is going to be Joe Cardina and Sean Dodd for the vacant Commonwealth title Sean Dodd previously held this title uh, obviously he lost uh, recently to Tommy Coyle uh, in a barn burner fight but this is the Welsh Wizards time I think and as much as I love Sean Dodd's story and I love Sean Dodd as a fighter I think Joe Cardina uh, is, is a level above even at this early stage of his career and I think he's going to come victorious on Saturday night and in his hometown I think that'll be uh, really good for Cardiff and uh, really good to see Joe Cardina topping the bill there as well and obviously with these next gen shows you're looking at all the, the talented young fighters that are there and you're looking at you know it's good what they're doing for the next gen stuff I mean on the card um, just quickly touching on it we've got obviously the main fight which I just spoke about Natasha Jonas is on the card uh, we've got Jordan Gill Sean McGoldrick Gamalia Fai Scotty Cardle's back uh, obviously Cody Davis you know also from Wales another uh, fighter from Wales there on the card as well so it's um and we've got the uh, second outing for Danny uh, Yalusinov as well on that particular card. So it's um, it's a pretty decent decent card. I mean, it's not. Don't get me wrong; it's not a world beating card, it, but it's it's good to see all these guys progression, and it's good to see these guys getting the, the, the TV time to be able to show their progression. I think the only fight on that card or fighter on that card which I'm surprised about is probably Jordan Gill because he's had about 19, 20 fights now. Now, he should be putting him on bigger bills than this, and he should be fighting bigger fighters, to be honest. And um, I think maybe it's just a bit of an activity fight for him. Same with Scotty Cardo, really. He's been in some big fights, and you know he's sort of on this bill as well. And I think it maybe just be a bit of a bit of a comeback trail for Scotty Cardo and a bit of an activity fight for Jordan Gill. But I think it'll be a decent show, Hamed. I mean, I'm, I think I'm more excited about the fights that we're going to talk about following this show in in America and the big fights in the light heavyweight division. I think that's what's more exciting to talk about for me this weekend. And with the fights that are going on because there's some big names out this weekend and some uh, exciting fights coming and I think that's what I'm more excited about but really I'm going to give it to you then Hamed and just give me a bit of a thought and feeling on on this show in Cardiff and the fighters that are on it and and the main event what what are your thoughts on it? I think it's not a bad card for prospects Um, being in Cardiff as well I like the fact that Haynes come back to Cardiff after having uh, Two big uh, pay-per-view fights, uh, shows in Cardiff with Joshua fighting Takam and then Parker earlier this year in a big unification. Uh, Cordina tops the bill. I like the kid. I think he's a good fighter. I've seen him in one of the gyms. I think it was in Steve Robinson's gym. I, I, I don't know him personally, but what I've seen of him, I, I think he's a talented uh, prospect. He was a, he was in the Olympics. I don't think he medaled, but... I think he was a very good decorated amateur fighter. I think they're building him up rightly. Am I sold on him? I think it's hard to tell yet. Uh, I have sold on the skills. I think he's definitely talented. He's definitely a handful of one of the best prospects in matchroom I've got at the moment. 
As for the fight uh, with Dodd, uh, I think I've seen clips of him. I think Kodina should win this fight. It could be a tough fight. He might have to weather some moments and answer some questions or face some sort of adversity, if you like to say. But the only thing I'd worry about someone like Joe Kodina, I think he's a very good prospect and he's got uh, a big future ahead of him. His power, I'm not too sure if he's got the power as he goes up in level. Will he be able to keep some of these guys off? I mean, at the moment, it probably that won't come into question it could come into question on Saturday we'll only find out uh, what Sean Dodd poses on Saturday but going forward that's one question I'll have for someone like Joe Cordida and I had this uh, question with Lee Selby I think Selby was a very different kettle of fish I mean he he, when I think I first start watching him or heard of him I think he's already established uh, contender and very good fighter at the time and at that time, I think Selby was on the fringe of, I think, a world title fight. But he, Selby managed to win a lot of those fights and managed to become a world champion, even though I think a lot of people are questioning his power. With uh, Joe Cortina, I think maybe making a bit too much of it at the moment, maybe maybe that won't come into play and maybe he's killed enough to keep uh, that off. My only question with this is, where do you see his career going? Do you think he's still got a long way to go before he challenges the... Uh, is this for a British title? I don't think it is. Uh, no, it's just uh, the it's Commonwealth. Uh, so it is, a, it, is a, it, it, it is a step up for him. It is obviously a professional title and a uh, uh, you know, a, a well-regarded professional title as well, and uh, it is a step up. Will he? Will he? Will he carry this on after this fight? Will he beat a guy like Sean Dodd? Well, Sean Dodd's a very tough operator, very tough operator. And however, I do think that there's kind of a time and a place, and I think this is the right time, right place for me for uh, Joe Cardina. And I think this is where uh, we start to see him sort of step up in levels. And how far he will go, I don't know yet. I'm, I'm still, I'm still. The court is out. A little bit still for me. He does look like a really, really good fighter, but I, I'm glad they're not rushing him. If I'm being honest, I'm glad that they're keeping him steadily progressing him through fights against good quality operators. And this is another good quality operator, a guy who was previously the British lightweight champ and previously the Commonwealth champ as well. You, that, you can't really get much more better experience than putting him in with someone like that. And I think it's again right time, right place for me at the moment. Yeah, I agree. I think this is by far his best opponent. These fought. Uh, if I'm just looking at, if I'm just looking at uh, Dodd's resume or record, uh, he has beaten some very decent and good fighters. I mean, Gary Buckland, he's got a win over Gary Buckland. He's got wins over Thomas Stoker, who I thought was a very good prospect uh, in the past. I think he's probably seen better days now. I think the timing of this is probably quintessential matchmaker from him. I think he always knows how to match up his prospects at the right time. I think uh, Dodd coming off a knockout loss to Tommy Coyle I think it's probably the right timing I think otherwise I think maybe for Coutinho it could have been a maybe a much bigger step up I think it still is a step up maybe the timing you're seeing is right I mean um, Dodd is 34 he's seen better days as is evident by his recent uh, couple of fights but I mean I still got questions I'm not too sure uh, where Joe Coutinho is in terms of his career at the moment I think uh, a lot of the guys is fought uh, I've kind of not come to win. I mean, the, but that, that is with a lot of other prospects as well. 
I don't think you could put someone down like that. I think he's uh, with a professional and prospects in the first 10 or 12 fights, he's sometimes learning. I think this will be the right step in the right direction. I think you're right. I think it is a big step up. And from here on in, they could maybe start thinking about what route they want to go. But first things, he needs to win this fight against Todd, who's a seasoned, serious, a seasoned experienced veteran. And from there on, I think he needs to make sure he wins as well as look good as well. And from there on, he could think about where he wants to go and what direction he wants to head in. Yeah, well, I, I don't want to focus too much more on the matchroom card now, just because obviously we've got two big light heavyweight title clashes coming up as well on the weekend. A couple of other fights that I think we need to mention, notable ones, and then we've obviously got the news and gossip section, which we want to talk about a little bit more heavily. Uh, otherwise, we'll be in for a bit of a three-hour podcast if we carry on and break it down in more detail. <laughs> and I know as, as much as the guys love listening to the podcast that follow us, uh, I'm sure they'd want us to give a bit more of a detailed description of what's going on this weekend in America and that's where we'll move on to next and we'll get to the big fight in America, the big two fights the first one being Sergei Kovalev and he defends uh, the IBO and WBO titles against previously unbeaten um, or unbeaten sorry Eldia Alvarez uh, currently 23 and I believe uh, however has recently fought and beat Jim Pascal and Lucien Booth and Isaac Chimbella as well and when I was looking through the fights earlier on today preparing the notes for today's podcast I'd not I'll be honest with you I'd not heard of Alvarez before and when I started to look through his record and started to do a quick little search on YouTube and watch some of the fights I'm thinking this guy actually is is an unknown quantity he's probably a, a lot more well known over in America and Canada than he is in the UK at the moment and in fact I don't think a lot of the casual audience will know who he is other than your sort of hardcore boxing followers and um, you know even even me who does the podcast and does all the articles and everything else for the Eat Sleep Boxing Repeat even I didn't know who he was and shame on me (laughs) shame on me but seriously though this guy's an unknown quantity and as as much as Sergei Kovalev is a huge puncher this guy could cause an upset this weekend from what I have seen this guy could cause an upset and uh, it's quite a, a, an exciting fight and I am quite excited about this particular fight and um, you know this could be uh, another one of them situations where we see a guy who's relatively unknown to the wider wider boxing audience come out of nowhere and basically take the world title from a guy who is very well world established in Sergei Kovalev I mean he's come back since he's lost to Andre Ward he's, he's come back and he's picked up the world title again and and now he's in another fight with a, an undefeated young fighter who's, who's got very good names on his record. Don't get me wrong, Hamed, they are names that were past their best when he fought them in Butte, Pascal and uh, Chimbella. However, they are names nevertheless. They are fighters that have been at the highest level, that have been world champions before now, that have been in with big, well-known names. So for me, that kind of speaks volumes as uh, to where Alvarez is at, at the moment. And I think this is actually going to be a, a decent fight on Saturday night. How much do you know about Alvarez then? I, I, other than the fact he's undefeated, uh, did you know a lot about him before this conversation? And uh, do you see Kovalev just wiping the floor with him this weekend? Or are, are you expecting maybe a little bit of a shock? 
Um, I'm quite surprised you've never actually heard of him. <laughs> I, I've heard of him for a while. He, he's been around the block. I mean, I am a, a hardcore boxer fan, and for international fights, I, I'm really around the block as, uh, with international fights. I'm always keeping an eye on what's happening. Uh, I don't just uh, watch domestically. I know uh, yourself as well, too, you do watch uh, international scenes, but with Alvarez, uh, I've heard of the name before. I think, like you said, when you beat some of these... Uh, Guys that were past their best. Uh, I've seen clips and I've seen uh, I've seen the beat knockout. I think uh, I've seen clips of the Pascal fight when that fight was going on. I think Pascal was really past his best. But I think he did a number of both of them. The only thing is, he's been known to uh, be a guy who steps aside for a while. And he steps aside with uh, Adonis Stevenson when he was in mandatory for a while. I'm not too sure if uh, Stevenson management or promotion, Al Heyman and the rest of the team was giving him money to step aside. But it's very really odd the fact that he didn't uh, take the fight with the champion in Adonis that time. As for the Kovalev fight, I think this is a really good fight. He's unbeaten. I think the Kovalev was meant to fight Marcus Brown who got arrested with. Uh, undefeated prospect he's a guy who I haven't really seen too much I've seen his last couple of fights but I wasn't sure about him but I've seen Alvarez I've heard of Alvarez he's been around the block I mean he is uh, he's a seasoned pro he is uh, he is about 34 I think he is about 33 or 34 so he's been around the block he's a tough Colombian he's beaten Edison Miranda as well so he's been around the block uh, a lot of these fighters you're right are past the boss past the best but he's beaten a British boy he's beaten a couple of of uh, names, uh, one of British for Danny McIntosh as well in the past. So, I mean, he's been around the block for a while. I think this is by far his biggest step up. Uh, I think Kovalev should win, but you're right. I mean, we don't know where Kovalev's mental fortitude is. I mean, Ward, uh, with those Ward fights, uh, controversial or not, they were defeats on paper, and that kind of, uh, I think, might have uh, messed up Kovalev's head. I don't, I'm not too sure where Kovalev's mental uh, attitude is at the moment. If he is in a position where he's facing some sort of adversity and some people have uh, made it out or think that he kind of folded in that second world fight I don't think it did I think some of those shots were low and borderline and I don't think the ref helped but nonetheless I think Kovalev mentally wasn't uh, in that second world fight I don't think he mentally was uh, like he was before I think he'd seen better days and I think Alvarez if he could get him get to him mentally or physically in this fight he could have a chance. I think it's a good fight. Uh, Kovalev, I think, is the favorite, but it's a really good uh, fight and matchmaking, I think, for main events. Uh, much better opponent than, than the last two uh, opponents that Kovalev faced in Chabransky and uh, Mikulkin. Well, Bivol, uh, Dimitri Bivol is also fighting on the same night against Isaac Chimbella, which again, I think is a, a decent fight for him. It's a WBA title fence in the, uh, defense in the light heavyweight division and it's these two guys, Kovalev Bivol looked like they were on the uh, the path to face each other at some point, you know, either back end of the year or maybe next year at some time. It's a fight that's definitely building and Bivol is, is 13 fights in and is world champion and he's facing another seasoned veteran in Chimbella who I think he'll he'll get by comfortably. Whether he'll stop him, well, he could do actually, you know, looking looking at his last fight with Sullivan Barrera, he was a guy who you, I, think, I, don't, I don't think people were expecting him to stop, but I think Bivol his, his guy's got power the guy's got power in both hands and I think uh, if he catches him I think he, he'll stop Chimbella and Chimbella's not he's, he's usually quite a durable opponent um, 
you know, he doesn't really, if you look through his record, he hasn't really taken uh, any sort of stoppage loss. I mean, he's had a, a, a retirement um, in one of his previous fights in 2016, but he, he, he's not he's not really taken any stoppage losses. So I think if Bivo was to go out there Saturday night and stop him, then that is a statement. And, and then that puts the eyes focused on Kovalev if he comes through Alvarez at the weekend. And, you know, if then both two opponents, they come through this fight, and I think everyone's going to be kind of calling for, for, for that fight next. I mean, everyone wanted to see Stevens and Kovalev, and, and then that's the fight we've, uh, we, we, we've really wanted to see. But... Is that going to happen? Maybe, maybe not. We've been talking about it for a little while, maybe a couple of years, and it doesn't seem to be happening. So the next best thing for me would be Bivol and Kovalev in a, in a in a super fight in the light heavyweight division. And if if Bivol can win and win in style on Saturday night, and I think that's where we're gonna we're gonna be heading for the light heavyweight division. And I think it'll be a very very good fight for the future. But Bivol looking really good. Uh, stopped Sullivan Barrera in his last fight. Stopped Trent Broadhurst the fight before he. He is. Uh, he does seem to be a bit of a bit of a machine at the moment, and uh, I think we potentially going to see a stoppage Saturday night. Dimitri Bivol and Hamed. I want to get your take on him, and I want to hear what your thoughts are uh, on him as a fighter. And, and do you see this potential matchup with Kovalev happening in the next twelve months? All right. So I've talked about Bivol before, so I won't uh, I won't harp on about it too much. I think I talked about it in the previous podcast. I think this is a good fight. Bivol to stay active if I'm being honest I don't think it's the best sort of match which I think is a step down from the Sullivan Pereira fight I think you're Lemba I think you're recalling the stop by Gavosdik um, yes. another tough uh, durable good unbeaten Eastern European fighter uh, sorry I meant uh, Chalemba was durable up until that point by Gavazdik yeah. was another good uh, prospect who lost I think got stopped on the undercard of the Kovalev Ward uh, fight but uh, back to Bivol I, I think Bivol has been very impressive he looked very good against Cedric Agni on the undercard of the rematch between Kovalev and Ward stopping him in four rounds that's when I got sold on the uh, guy I think he was very good against Sylvan Pereira I mean for 11 rounds he's pummeling him from pillar to post dropped him in the top round I'm not too sure if he hits hard as someone like Kovalev or Batubiev but there's a very good documentary which I'd advise a lot of people to check it out on not documentary like a segment that HBO recorded Ward interviews Pivol I think he's on YouTube now I think people can listen to it from anywhere in the world I think there was a time where HBO kind of freaked it for people outside the US but it's very good I think Ward even sees Pivol uh, out of all the Eastern European fighters, uh, Kovalev, Batubiev, Kovalev, he's by far the one he's most sold on. And I agree, I think Bivol is by far the most technical all-round boxer puncher out of the four. I think he's arguably the future of the light heavyweight division. I think he's probably the best in light heavyweight uh, out of those guys, uh, um, light heavyweight future stars. I think he is... Uh, I think he is on a collision course with someone like Kovalev. I wouldn't mind seeing him fight Batubia, but for uh, Chilemba, I think Chilemba will give him rounds. I mean, Chilemba arguably gave Kovalev his toughest fight prior to the first reward fight. And I don't think there was too much uh, too much difference. I, I thought Chilemba arguably won about two, or th- uh, three or four rounds against Kovalev. And I thought, I didn't think Ward beat Kovalev in that first fight. I thought Ward 
I won about four or five. I could see maybe if we really been general six rounds, but I thought he won about a couple award won about four or five rounds. Uh, I thought Chalamba gave him his toughest fight uh, to take before that fight, and he showed he's very durable. Kovalev couldn't stop him. Uh, he did drop him, then Kovalev did stop him. So I'm not too sure if uh, Chalamba was kind of uh, taken a lot out from that round, I think, where Kovalev dropped him. I think it was the 11th or 10th round, and he kind of took a beat in. But I think uh, Bivol should win. I think he should stop him as well. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it, this does go 12 rounds because Chalamba is a durable guy. And um, I'd like to ask the question, would you rather see Bivol fight Petubiev or would you want to see him fight Kovalev? Because I think Kovalev and uh, Bivol are in the same promotion in main events. I'm not too sure if main events want to match them up together because, I mean, they are both their fighters. If you could match them up against another champion, like you said, maybe Adonis Stevenson and Kovalev maybe finally get it on. And if you could make Petubiev who fights Callum Johnson in October against Bivol, would you rather see that or would you rather they both stay in house and fight each other? Um, well, I think I think if I'm being honest with you at the moment, I think the way it seems to be heading is a Bivol Kovalev matchup in the future. And Peterbiev and Colin Johnson, obviously, I think it's October the sixth they've announced that date for. So, you know, we're going to look at that side of things as well, and uh, whether Peterbiev will come through that, or whether Callum Johnson will cause a shock upset and win, and and it changes the the landscape a little bit for that for that division. But obviously, we've got Adonis Stevenson still around, still a champion. You know. There's these guys there. Obviously, we're forgetting about Badu Jack as well, who had that great fight with Danny Stevenson. So, you know, there's quite a few guys still in the mix. I think I'd like to see uh, a Bivol Kovalev fight. I know they're on the same promotion. I know it might not happen. I would like to see it. But then there's also the fights of Kovalev and Stevenson. There's also, you know, Bivol against Jack. There's also potentially Peterbiev against all of these guys or Callum Johnson, maybe. You know, a, a very, very out, slight outsider there. But. The, 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 the light heavyweight division is uh, doing really well at the moment and uh, there's quite a few good fights you know potentially matched up for the future and I am excited for it I'm excited for this weekend's two fights uh, the big ones but uh, Hamed I don't want to uh, harp on about the light heavyweight division uh, any longer because we're, um, we've got so, so much more to cover and there's just three other fights over in America that I want to br- quickly bring to the listeners attention uh, if you've not already realised that there is some other fights going on over the weekend we've got Devin Alexander versus is Andre Berto the battle of the uh, has been welterweights? <laughs> no, I'm being arsed. I'm being arsed there. To be fair, uh, I don't. I don't genuinely see what this uh, what benefit this this brings to any of these two guys. But yeah, these two guys are fighting this weekend as well. Uh, former welterweight stars uh, Peter Quillen and Jay Leon Love this weekend. Uh, he's obviously Quillen back on the comeback trail after losing to Jacobs. Jay Leon Love's not lost in seven fights. So we've got that one over there this week. And then we've got the return of Sergey Lipinex against Eric Bone. Uh, Bone, to be fair, has lost his last two fights. So for me, this looks like a straight comeback fight for Lipinex to head himself back in and back up to the top of that lightweight division. Potentially might even get a title shot quite quickly if uh, Mikey Garcia does move up the weights. So there's them three fights going on this weekend, Hamed as well, which we've uh, yeah. which we, which we've mentioned there. 
But I think um, I think the the best and biggest section of the of the show and the final section of today's show is uh, the one that I've really really wanted to talk about uh, all the way through the podcast, uh, which is the news and gossip section this week. Uh, there's so much that's gone on, and I think Hamed, I think I'm going to hand it over to you to talk about the the, the big heavyweight uh, potential clash which has been announced this week. And if you want to uh, talk us through that one, then Hamed. So I think it looks like we all to go for Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder fight, which is close to being done for December. We hear it. Uh, I'm not too sure what to draw from this. I think this could be too early from Fury. I think this could potentially be one or two fights too early. If I'm being honest, I think uh, I always thought uh, fight against uh, Safari followed by Panetta was um, not too bad. I think he needs the fight and he means rounds. He got a couple of rounds in the bag more than you probably envisaged. I mean, Safari in, I think it's June or July. June, I think, yeah. And his next fight's in September. Now, I thought the plan would always be for him to, if he is going to step up earlier than scheduled, would be to fight, say, Joshua in April if Wald and Joshua can't agree to a fight in a big uh, heavyweight matchup between two undefeated uh, British giants. One former unified champion, our own current, in a uh, an hundred thousand super fighter Wembley. Now, uh, now it looks like Josh and Wilder are not fighting, and that, that collision course, which we thought was going to be in September, or April, looks like it might be later rather than sooner. And I think uh, Hearn and Maxim are trying to eye up a Dillaway rematch. Now, I don't mind seeing Wilder and Fury fight. I want to see one of these three matchups. I, if Josh and Wilder can fight, make Wilder and Fury. If, that could happen. Uh, I think Joshua and Joshua and Fury could happen to prevent this fight. Uh, I know Hearn is a shrewd matchmaker, and he knows how to uh, he knows how to dangle the carrot. I think if he sees the opportunity where Wilder and Fury is not a confirmed official, he might try and make an offer for Fury to fight in April. But I mean, uh, I think I'm hearing that Fury is looking at the Wilder fight, and I think it's serious. I think it's a good fight. I still want to write Fury off at the moment. I'd say Wilder is favourite to fight in December but I want to see it I'm hearing this will be on pay-per-view on Showtime in America so Wilder will get a bit more exposure he gets a pay-per-view mega fight before the super fight with Joshua could happen possibly down the line if he beats Fury which is not any given uh, or is not really guaranteed. I like to see it both unbeaten. I like the way when they squared off after the fight uh, with between Wilder and Spilka. I thought that was interesting. I think the trash talking and press conference can be interesting. I think the fight out of all the fights, I think this is the hardest fight to predict. I'm not too sure who would win it. I think if Joshua fight um, Fury, I think I know if Fury's at his best. I think I know who I'd be picking in that fight. If Joshua fights Wilder, I think I got an idea of who'd probably win that fight. Although I think that fight would probably depend on who lands first, but uh, what do you think about this fight? I, 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 it's a come out of the blue. It's, it's a bit of a shocker to be honest because nobody's been expecting this one to, 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 to turn up for the books and I know it's not been announced and both parties have said that they're very very close to signing this deal and it's it's a fight that I think might be a little bit too soon for Fury uh, for me personally I'd like to see him be uh, Pienta in a couple of weeks and then I'd like to see him maybe step up again in levels and then fight a, uh, a more um, with respect to Pienta who he's fighting in a couple of weeks he's obviously been beat off 
uh, Klitschko in the past and Shagayev, and he's probably past his best now, I would say, safe to say. At what I've seen fight a more livelier opponent before he then steps in with a bigger fighter. But I suppose if the money's right and he feels physically that the time is right, uh, maybe maybe he wants to cash, cash, cash in as soon as he can, really, because, I mean, how long does Fury have left? I mean, he's, what is he, 29 now, Fury, I think? And, I mean, we don't know how good, if he ever is going to be as good as he was against yeah. Klitschko that night. I mean, there's a lot of unanswered questions still. Could this be uh, a chance for him to cash in on a big payday and, and, and maybe take a big risk and, and, and maybe come out of it the other side? I mean, for me, if he win, if he goes in and beats Wilder in December, if that comes off, it's probably, arguably, one of the biggest comebacks in boxing history. And I mean, yeah. I, I hate making comparisons and I don't want to be sort of hold to ra- held to ransom on this comparison, but... I would put it up there with the, the the return of Muhammad Ali going on to beat George Foreman in the Rumble in the Jungle. If Tyson Fury was to come back and beat Deontay Wilder, that that, that for me is up there with, with that type of a comeback because for him to be able to be away from the sport for a long period of time like he has been, uh, the weight that he put on, I mean, come on, I mean, Muhammad Ali always kept himself in fantastic shape. Tyson Fury was in abysmal shape about eight months, nine months ago. For him to be able to do that and come back and beat uh, a very, very hard-punching, lively, wild, unorthodox opponent who's a WBC champ, yeah, I think you've honestly got to really sort of seriously start considering it as one of the one of the greatest comebacks. And uh, I think there's a few people that I'd, I'd probably agree on that. There's probably a few people that won't, but you're never going to please everybody. But I, I genuinely think for me that would be one of the greatest comebacks of all time, that in boxing, to be able to, to do what he's done. And it's, it's, a, it's a huge fight, a huge fight. But... On, yeah. the, on the on the flip side, Hamed, before before you uh, interject there, um, before you in, uh, have your piece on this one, I, it could just be a lot of a lot of talk. Maybe there's a hidden agenda. Yeah. There's a hidden agenda behind this. Maybe there's a, a, a another agenda going on behind this that we really don't know about. I mean, they could be talking that they're really close to signing a Wilder deal. However, then it might end up being like you say, Eddie Hearn might come in last minute and decide to to to, to take that fight with Wilder and, and do it as quickly as he can before the Furies get the opportunity to do it and maybe that's what yeah. it is maybe it's just a ploy we don't we don't know if it came off I'd be absolutely uh, buzzing for it I'd be sceptical I don't think I'd uh, I don't know if I'd be siding with Fury to win that fight uh, based on what we've got going at the moment but you just really never know he's a very unorthodox fighter very style style wise makes it nightmares for everybody if he fights so you just never never know but yeah I, I can't wait for it if it happens I'm you know, excited to even talk about it it's, uh, it's, 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 it's mad, mad to think that this could actually you know after all the Joshua Wilder stuff that's gone on in the past couple of months yeah. this could this could really really uh, really shock the world really if this comes off yeah, I think uh, I'll I'll spend more than twenty seconds on what I'm going to say. I think I'm kind of sick of the whole Joshua Wilder saga until that's signed and we see him in the ring. I don't really want to talk about that. As for this, uh, I want to see this. I mean, BT box office, uh, sports box office, I've got a channel listed now on the television guide on the Sky Box. I think this could be that super fight. I mean, Bill Joe Saunders and Andrade fighting on Dazzin. 
I think this could be the one is big fight and show that Frank Warren is. I I'm really surprised that Steven Espinosa and Showtime are thinking about putting on Showtime pay per view. Great news! Let's get this fight on. I want to see a two undefeated giants for the WBC heavyweight title. Let's get it on. Definitely, let's get it on. I think that'd be uh, one that I'd absolutely love to see. Uh, definitely, and um, I want to move on. Then I want to get back to uh, to some of the other stuff that's going on. Uh, there's a couple of other fights that have been talked about on social media. The next one on the list that I've got: Spike O'Sullivan, David Lemieux. Apparently, have uh, uh, had a bit of a gentleman's agreement over Twitter to fight on the Triple G Canelo undercard uh, in September. Which uh, I think Spike O'Sullivan's been looking for that big fight. He, you know, he narrowly missed out on Triple. G, he narrowly missed out on Canelo. A David Lemieux fight? Yeah, yeah, I'd like to see it, definitely. Definitely a fight that Spike O'Sullivan needs, I think, to maybe get that big fight that he's looking for with either of the two big guys in that division. So, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that something comes off for him. Again, a guy that's been on this show, and a guy that's um, you know, he does actively listen to it, so Spike, if you're listening, my friend, I, I, I do hope you get this fight with David Lemieux, and uh, I do hope it's on that undercard, and you know, I'd be happy uh, to see you get another... <laughs> another shot um, but Spike O'Sullivan David Lemieux what do you make of that fight do you think it would be a decent fight how do you see it going I think Spike O'Sullivan is a character I mean just follow him on Twitter look at his tweets I mean though back and forth he went to Dan Raphael <laughs> that cracks me up I mean some of the jokes and some of the memories of photoshops uh, the pictures he puts on but I, I, he's a character I mean he's a funny guy uh, he's not a, he's, he's not in a bad fight I mean I don't think I've seen him in a bad fight I think this is a good match making. If it's on the undercard, I'd take it. I think a lot of people are spectacular of whether or not they want to pay for the Golovkin Canelo pay per view in America after the first fight and controversial 18110 Adley Bird card. Uh, I think it's a good matchmaking and good fight, if I'm being honest. Uh, Lemieux looked really bad against uh, Bill Joe Saunders. Could be perfect timing. Uh, Spike O'Sullivan looked good against uh, his previous opponent, I think is uh, Douglas. I forgot his first name, but uh, I think it's a good fight. It could be a phone booth fight like you, like the Chisora Takam fight we had where both guys were just standing there. Uh, Lemieux is the, I think, heavier punch out the two, but I think if Spike O'Sullivan could chin check him or test him or get to him, I think he could probably knock him out. I think Billy Joe Saunders could have, but I'm not too sure if Billy Joe Saunders wanted to stay on his game plan. And I don't think, I think Spike O'Sullivan probably hits harder than Billy Joe Saunders. I mean, with that shot he landed on Eubank, took him from one end of the ring to the other. And I don't think Billy Joe Saunders hurt Eubank in their fight. He did catch him with some good shots, but I think it'll be a good fight. Uh, uh, and hopefully it gets made. I mean, I'm hearing Roman Gonzalez could be on the undercard as well. So, yeah, I haven't got too much to add. Uh, I, I think that'll be good. The fact that two middleweight fights on the same night, then it'll be kind of a, like a crossroads double header. You could get the winners of those fights meeting down the line. Yeah, I'd agree. And I think that would be a, a suitable undercard fight for sure. Another fight which has been talked about after last week's episode was uh, Tony Bellew and Alexander Usek. And again, both guys on social media both confirming that they're in deep negotiations to have this fight and uh Again, both guys saying it's nearly done. Just like the uh, Fury Wilder fight, both guys are actually claiming this fight is nearly made. So that, again, in itself is uh, another huge fight for boxing if, if that one does definitely get signed, sealed and delivered because it's uh, it's, it's a massive fight for boxing. And also, as well, uh, on the on the subject of Usyk, uh, I think it was yesterday or today, it actually said that WBO have made him... Um, 
he moves up to heavyweight, or when he moves up to heavyweight, he automatically becomes the mandatory for the WBO title, which a lot of people are saying plots his route to Anthony Joshua for a future fight there. What do you make of all this? Uh, I think this is probably politics coming to play again. I'd like to see Usyk fight the likes of Joshua Wilder. I think some people need to hold their horses, saying that Usyk goes up and saves the division at the moment. I'm not too sure. He's still got a lot of questions to answer. I think... Uh, I think it's good in a way the fact that they made him the super champion for Joshua, but until that fight happens, uh, I don't think there's anything more to add. I'd like to see him fight Belu. If it is going to happen, I want to see a cruiser with all the marbles, the belt, and their lineage champion. I think some people still believe Belu is the uh, last uh, real WBC champion or not. And now I think uh, I think it was uh, Bradis who won the title of Gassiev. I can't remember. But before Bellu moved up to every to fight, he, he was the last uh, WBC champion. And it will be a good fight. Uh, I reckon Bellu will test, test him and actually try and land and will try and either get knocked out or try and knock out. He'll go out on his shield. I'd like to see the fight happen. And hopefully it could happen in the UK. I mean, I've never seen Usyk fight. Uh, if it's at a suitable venue, I wouldn't mind going over and seeing Usyk, one of the premier pound-for-pound fighters. And before he moves up to heavyweight, uh, I don't think that'll be a bad move. If it's a heavyweight, um, probably lose a bit of the glamour. It won't be any belts on the line. It'll be a non-title fight, but nonetheless, it's a good matchup, and I'd like to see that fight. Yeah, I would as well. And. And social media, as always, hype train gets us all thinking one thing's going to happen, then something opposite happens. I love it. But moving on, then, another piece of news that's come out in the past 24 hours, which is Luke Campbell changing trainers to go to Shane McGuigan. Uh, I think the question I've got on this one, for you, Hammered, is uh, is this a good move or not? Ooh, good question, good question. I mean, his last fight uh, I saw him in was against Ogi Linares. Uh, I thought he'd done very well. I can't remember who his trainer was. He's one of the Cuban... Was he? Jorge Rubio. Was he Jorge Rubio? Okay, yes. I got mixed up because I thought it was Emmanuel Robles. It was, it was Jorge Rubio. I thought he did good that night and I thought it was a battle of the two Cuban trainers. I think it was Ismail Salas for Linares yes. and Jorge Rubio. Yeah. And I'm not too sure why he left him. I, I thought there was a good chemistry being built. He arguably gave Linares the toughest fight since the Kevin Mitchell fight. Uh, he... I I thought he did probably better than Crawler. Definitely than Crawler did in the rematch. Um, I, I'm not too sure. I think McGuigan is a good trainer, but I think that at times he has been kind of lacking in certain instructions or a kind of a different formula game plan. I, I didn't. I wasn't too impressed with him against Santa Cruz in the rematch. Although I give him credit, I think they pulled on pulled off a masterstroke against Santa Cruz with Frampton in the first fight. One of the best wins of the year. I thought Frampton was, I think, the fight of the year, and rightly so. He had a great year. Uh, McGuigan and Campbell, I think we'll have to see how they gel up or whether or not they do gel up. Uh, but, yeah, it's interesting. Well, I think uh, the final part uh, and, and news really leads us nicely on to what I was talking about earlier about heavyweights and where do they all go and uh, the fights that we've seen on the matchroom bill last weekend. The final bit of news is that um, Kubrat Purulev and Huey Fury apparently are supposed to be engaging in battle for an IBF eliminator. It's making mandatory to, obviously, at the moment, Anthony Joshua. So, a fight that... I'd like to see. Uh, yeah, I'd like to see Hugh Fury get a step up now. I think he he had his world title tilt against Joseph Parker. 
probably was a little bit too negative and probably could have won that fight. Comes back down to domestic level, beats Sam Sexton emphatically and gets the domestic British title. And it looks like he's going to step up for the IBF Eliminator against Kubrat Polev, which, again, we've heard this uh, IBF Eliminator before. I think uh, Dillian White was supposed to be fighting him not long ago. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, we actually get this fight. <laughs> I'm sure Kubrat Polev is hoping that he'd actually get a fight because he seems to be the, the other name that's always involved in this RBF Eliminator, but never against anyone definitively. But uh, here if we does he deserve an opportunity at the uh, RBF title? Well, I think if he beats Pulev, he earns it. Yeah, I, I, I'd say so. Um, but before before we sort of go to that final section of, of heavyweights, uh, I want to know what your thoughts are on this announcement. And, and obviously, if it does get signed and sealed and delivered, uh, do you give Huey Fury a chance against Kubrat Pulev? I definitely give him a chance. I just hope he fights him. I mean, I'm getting sick of the amount of guys that are swerving Pulev. I know there's a, a, a low amount of percentage the challenger gets paid. If you truly believe you're the best or you truly believe you're worthy of a champion, you should be uh, accepting the mandatory challenger uh, as a mandatory challenger and uh, rightly so being the challenger. I mean, uh, it happened with Miller, Jaron Miller, he stepped aside. It happened with Dylan White. I know Dylan White had more options. I think he was the WBC mandatory challenger. So I, I don't give Dylan White that much. Uh, the Parker fight was more money. Then Luis Ortiz came into the play with the WBC mandatory they messed him up. I think Dylan White was rightly so the number one, or along with Dominic Brazil. And but with Jaron Miller, I mean, he's been talking a lot, a big talk with Joshua. Why didn't he just accept the mandatory challenge and fight Pula rather than now he's going to probably fight someone like uh, Artis Pilka or someone who's been knocked out by Wilder. So who you feel credit to him? I mean, he wants to get back to the world title contention. I give him a chance. If he's in Bulgaria, I do worry. I think he, he has to be more positive. He has to come forward. He has to fight like he did against some second if he tries doing right then with Joshua Parker trying to steal a victory he's not going to get it with Pulev a very interesting fighter I think one of the most underrated heavyweights out the top 10 if I'm being honest thought he had a great fight with Klitschko's only defeat back in 2014 I thought he wobbled him with a jab first round but Klitschko landed some hellacious left ups he took him out cold in the fifth round he put him put him on the deck heavy and knocked him out but since then he's regrouped he beat Derek Chisora I did not think that was a split decision I think one of the judges probably fell asleep or was <laughs> not watching the right fight. I, I thought he did well. He did well in that fight as well. I, saw, I think Pulev is kind of maybe a bit more gun-shy than he was prior to the Klitschko fight. But I mean, he's beaten Kevin Johnson. He's beaten Samuel Peter. These guys are past their best. But I mean, the Chisora victory looks now better than it is after what Chisora Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so uh, I like to see. I like to see Pulev maybe get that shot to Joshua. I know he pulled out, was injured. But I think Pulev is underrated every and I think a lot of people are kind of ducking him and swerving him for one reason or the other well I think that leads us nicely on doesn't it really to this little final bit that we wanted to discuss about the heavyweights and the heavyweight scene at the moment I think it's in the forefront of everyone's mind now because we've had a few big weekends with heavyweight boxing we've had some uh, big victories over the last weekend we've had some speculation about a fury and wilder fight we've had uh, joshua pavetkin being announced so the heavyweight division at the moment is alive and kicking and 
think what I, what I sort of see how it is really going to go over the next 12 months, and we've got Joshua Povetkin, that's that's official, that's lined up for the 22nd of September. I've potentially got Wilder in Fury in December. I mean, what about guys like Chisora and White and Jarrell, yeah. Jarrell Miller as well, like you said there? And what about these three guys? I mean, where, where are these guys going to go in the interim while these other fights are going on? I mean, are we going to see these guys get it on or... I mean, how how do you see things playing out over the next twelve months? Okay. All right, interesting question. I, I'd like to see I'd like to see one of these guys fight Joe Joyce. If I'm being honest, and maybe that's step in the back direction. But I mean, Chisora Joe Joyce, let's get that on because I mean, there's been a lot of talk. If Wilder's gonna fight Fury, uh, I don't I don't see Chisora want I don't see Dylan White want to fight Chisora again. So I think that gets crossed off. I don't think Chisora. We'll probably get the shock of Walda. I know Eddie Hearn will probably now dangle a carrot and try and make either Joshua against Chisora, which probably be a tough sell. I don't think people will want to see that and let Chisora beat someone in the top 10. And Walda, I don't think we'll want to fight Chisora. I think he's not willing to fight White, and I understand why, but even though I disagree, I think he should take the fight with White for 7 or 8, 6 million. That's a lot of money. Yeah. I'd like to see Luis Ortiz fight one of these guys. If uh, Dylan White doesn't fight Walder next, which is not a bad fight. If Fury and Walder can't happen, that's the best option I think for Walder after. Make uh, make uh, Lewis Ortiz against Chisora. I know Dilla White doesn't want to really fight him, but make Chisora and Lewis Ortiz. Uh, if Dilla White doesn't uh, get the fight with Walder, I think maybe. Good question. I think maybe his options might be limited. Uh, he maybe he'll have to try and think again the rematch with Chisora. I mean, I can't think of others. Unless Jarrell, big maybe Miller could make the fight with White. But I think Miller is looking and going in his own direction. He's trying to get the number one mandatory <laughs> slot with Joshua. I, I I think Jarrell Miller needs to fight one of these guys. I'd make, if I'm being honest, I'd make uh, Miller and White next. Miller and White next. I think that's an interesting proposition. I think it's a, a proposition that I'd... Uh, I'd like to see because then it gets it gets Dillian White that US exposure, especially if they throw it over in the USA with the whole Matchroom USA stuff that they've got going on and the deal with Dazen. I think if they made that fight, it gets the exposure for Dillian White in the USA, keeps Jarrell Miller over there, keeps the uh, the, the, the exposure going uh, you know, uh, over here in the UK and uh, it secures him a good fight. I do believe that they're lining Jarrell Miller up front in Joshua though, as I said last week's episode, I feel like they are the way they're doing the sort of pantomime uh, bitching at each other in the in the Povetkin press conference the other week kind of made to me was a big, big clear sign that they want to try and create a bit of beef before a potential yeah. matchup between them later on down the line. However, this curveball's coming here this week with the Fury and Wilder potential fight. If that actually comes off and it does happen, then Eddie Earn's got to think again and he's got to think about where he's going to go next with his fighters. And obviously, if he's lined up Jarrell Miller for Joshua, he, he might change his mind and he might decide the best option for it is, is Dillian White and Joshua uh, in a rematch because there's obviously bad blood between these two guys. And uh, I think they'd I think they'd want to settle it again. I think and I think it'd, it'd create hype. And I think um, I think a lot people expect Joshua to win that if it happens but yeah I think it's a, a 
possibilities are, are I think are quite endless. Chisora, uh, as you were saying, do I want to see him fight Joe Joyce? Um, uh, yeah, I, I think I think I do. Yeah, I think I have said it before in the past when it was talked about a few weeks back. I think I'd like to see that fight. I'd like to see whether Joe Joyce is the real deal and whether he can beat someone like Chisora. I think Chisora would be uh, massively up for this fight against Joe Joyce because not only would it make good money in the UK. Uh, it would be an opportunity for Chisora to knock someone like Joe Joyce off his perch. Uh, for Joe Joyce, it'd leave him, it'd leave him um, pretty screwed to be honest with you, because he's uh, he's thirty two years old. He's only had about what four or five fights now, and he's really trying to be fast tracked pretty quick. A fight with Chisora and a win against Chisora would do that for him. That win over obviously Takam. Has, has, has really reignited the career in the heavyweight scene and, and you know we, we, we could see a really uh, a lot of good potential future matchups Luis Ortiz you've mentioned there as well Hamid Luis Ortiz in the mix as well Luis Ortiz Dillian yeah. White yeah yeah definitely Luis Ortiz and Dillian White can, would be can, a cracking fight can I ask fight. you can I ask you who, who do you want to see Luis Ortiz fight let's not forget about Joseph Parker I mean um, he's going to now be in a position where he's going to try and have to regroup and redeem himself and go back to drama but I mean, uh, Luis Ortiz, Joseph Parker is not a bad fight if you can make that. I mean, you can make Chisora and Parker maybe on an undercard. I think Parker will be a hard sell in the main event. I think he's going to have to drop down back to an undercard level if he's going to stay in the UK because there's a lot of heavyweights. Uh, I think you made a good point before I asked you the question I was going to ask. Uh, if Fury Wilder fight happens, I hope it does. A lot of these other fights then will, fighters will have to try and eat the other time. I think Miller could go in his own route as well which he's been doing. I think him and Miller might just try and wait out for opportunity with uh, Joshua. But who would you like Luis Ortiz to fight next? I think Luis Ortiz would be uh, a very good opponent for Dillian White. Dillian White at the moment has got plenty of avenues that he could go down and there wouldn't be meaningless fights. If he fought Luis Ortiz, he'd get... He'd, give, he'd be given credit for beating a, a very, very tough man and a guy that went life and death with Deontay Wilder, the current WBC champ. If he fights uh, Jarrell Miller next, he gets, the, the, again, the, the, the same situation, really. He gets big USA exposure, uh, big, big potential future fights down the line for him. I think the only fight that I don't think... Uh, I think you've said it earlier there, Hamed. I think the only fight I couldn't really see happening for Dillian White is the Chisora fight. I don't think that would make any sense at this stage for both of fighters' careers. Yeah. I don't think that would make sense. I mean, it was a cracking fight, don't get me wrong, and everyone wanted to see it immediately again. But I think now, because they have both moved on in the careers, Dillian White's continued with victories. Derek Chisora's kind of been hit and miss, but then got this big win over Takam. I don't think I'd want to see that uh, if, 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 I, if I get my sort of sensible head on here and I think what would I want to see for the careers well I think I'd want to see Chisora get one big last payday and then maybe retire and I'd like to see Dillian White get his deserved shot at a world title and I think that's where I'd want to yeah. see them that's where I'd want to see them both go I think that's a good assessment I just want to add a chime in and add a couple of thoughts on this final thought I think uh, I think this is a very important and interesting point because I'm just writing the note down and thinking about where they could head uh, I don't think Dilla White will probably want to fight Luis Ortiz I mean he had the opportunity to fight him and become a manager challenger we've got to look at it like this way fighting Luis Ortiz for an 
for a, for a non-title fight is as tough as maybe getting a fight with Wilder and Joshua, but it's a low risk, high reward. Very, high, very. I mean, low reward, high risk. Yes. And he he'd probably rather want to fight Wilder and Joshua. I mean, if he loses, he loses to an undefeated world champion. If he wins, he get against Joshua. He get all the belt in front of a hundred thousand, ninety thousand people. With Wilder, he will get the WBC belt. If he wins, if he loses, I mean, and that'll just if he wins, I mean, makes the Joshua fight even bigger. I mean. That's the only time I'll, I uh, honestly will want to see a Joshua White to rematch if he beats Wilder. Even if he beats Ortiz, I probably still I probably rather see a Wilder fight if he beats Ortiz. Uh, if I'm being honest, I think White has got more options. I don't think he needs Ortiz. I like to see I like to see the best fight the best. But if Wilder fights Fury, I think Joshua White will happen. I think that's a given. I think we can almost agree uh, that will probably rule out those four fighters. Then I think Chisora will. They will probably try and go in the route of either Joe Joyce or if Eddie Hearn wants to make a Darren Miller uh, Chisora. I think a Chisora and Darren Miller build-up would be crazy. I mean, Chisora has shown in the past he has got a bit of uh, a loose or a chip on his shoulder, a loose screw <laughs> yeah. in his head. I mean, he's shown to be a bit crazy. And Darren Miller knows how to rub up people the wrong way. I mean, if people want to check out Darren Miller's uh, video with Bivins to win, if anyone's not seen it. I mean, he's trying to goad him in the gym. I think Shannon Briggs was in the middle. And that was quite funny as well. Darren Miller is a character, but back to White, I think he's got more options with Lewis Ortiz. I think he's got a couple of options as well. I mean, he could always fight uh, Povetkin if Povetkin comes up short uh, against Joshua. This park is still around. It's a great time, I agree, for heavyweight boxes. And let's not forget Donald Dubois uh, on the up and coming for Frank Warren and PT Sport. Uh, he, he looks like a very good prospect, undefeated. Likewise, Jojo is, I think, doing a great job on Channel 5. I think it's a shame about Nick Webb. I think that could have been another great prospect. Well, I think we touched upon it. I think that was a great win for uh, Dave Allen, who's a character. Uh, maybe Dave Allen might get a fight to Chisora. I mean, uh, that won't be a bad fight, I think. No, I won't, I won't be a bad fight at all, actually. <laughs> when you think about it, it's, it's whether Chisora would want to want to step down, maybe. Will it make a lot of money for them both? Probably not, if I'm being honest. So they'd probably want to go in a direction where it's going to make them the most money. Um, I think Dave Allen has fight for nothing, to be honest with you. <laughs> it's the type of guy he is. But <laughs> I think Chisora, he's 34 years old, I think for me, if I was in his mind, I'd be thinking, I want to get one big more one more big payday or world title shot and then I want to call it a day. Because he's done, he's done as much as he possibly can, I think, in this sport. And I think it's uh, one more fight maybe one big fight and then I think it's time to call it a day for, for Chisora personally but it's just like it's the heavyweight dilemma I think that's the name I'd like to call this situation it's just a dilemma at the moment with everything that's going on and we're just going to have to wait and see whether or not this Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder fight comes off or whether it doesn't and how that affects everything else or whether it doesn't come off whether we end up seeing Joshua Wild it's, uh, it's crazy but it's it's nice to be able to talk about the heavyweight division in this in this kind of sense again now because you yeah. know five, five, six, seven years ago it was quite a stale division and ruled by the Klitschko's and you know it was kind of not a lot of people were excited about it now it's very open and it's very you know 
anybody could kind of anybody could win anybody could become champion you know it's uh, as we've seen and and I think it's an exciting time to, to be a heavyweight boxing fan that's for sure um, I, I'm really sort of excited to see what happens over the next few months anyway um, but Hamed yeah. I, don't, I don't think I've got anything more I want to add yeah. to, the, to the heavyweight dilemma uh, I wanted to just ask uh, I'm just going to say one thing uh, do you think if Fury beats uh, no I mean if Wilder beats Fury do you think that warrants a, a Wilder-Joshua fight possibly in America and a bigger fight uh, and possibly uh, it could tempt Joshua to go to America because I mean if he could knock out Fury does that tempt him? or if Fury beats Joshua uh, Fury beats Wilder I mean I think we all know Fury-Joshua just becomes a, one of the biggest ever fights yeah. for heavyweights especially yeah I think um, I think I think for Wilder it's a bit of a uh it's a bit of a lot. I think it's a again, like you said with the RTS before. I think it's a re, a, a reward risk factor because if he beats Fury, people are just going to say, well, actually, you know, he'd, he'd been out of the ring for three years. He'd not really fought anybody of note since his comeback, so it's not as a credible of a, of, a, of a win. But if Fury beats Wilder, there's a different scenario. Everyone's going to be like, yeah, he's back. Um, you know, he's been out for three years. He's been able to climb his way back to the top. He's been a, a feared champion. And I think for Wilder, this is a very risky fight. When you put it like when you put it like that, it's a very risky fight for him. Because, yeah. because actually, he could lose a lot here if he loses this fight. He could lose fights with Anthony Joshua in the future. Uh, he could lo- he loses his title. Do you know what I mean? That, that That's what happens. It's a massive risk for Deontay Wilder. So if he does come off, fair play for him to, for, for deciding to put himself in there because he loses to Fury and, and really... Where does he where does he go then? Really, you know that super fight with Joshua. Will it ever happen then? I don't think it would. I think, like you say, Joshua Fury would be the logical fight in in the summer at Wembley next year. Uh, that's where you'd want to see it. So it's uh, it's actually a very big risk for Deontay Wilder this if he if he does go yeah. go with it, and uh, a very big reward for Tyson Fury if he was to come out the Victoria victorious one in this one. But um, yeah, I think for me, Hamed, that that is probably as much as I've got to add on yeah. to. Today's podcast. Uh, I was just gonna, yeah. I was just gonna say one last thing. Uh, sorry, no, uh, no. Cut you off I was just gonna say. Uh, I think Wilder's struggling to get up for some of these fights. I mean, he's frustrated for that the Joshua fight won't happen. I think he believes that Joshua doesn't want to fight him. I think there's a bit of uh, blame to go on both sides. I mean, Wilder demanding fifty-fifty. I think it's kind of ridiculous. I think Joshua deserves at least fifty, maybe fifty-five. I'd probably say at least sixty percent of the fight. I think sixty forty of the person should go to Joshua uh, as for the fight I think he, he is kind of struggling to get up he had a great victory with Luis Ortiz I think a lot of people have made a, a lot about Ortiz's age but Ortiz is a very underrated very good fighter I really rate that victory even though excuse me <coughs> even though Wilder looked bad I thought he, he was losing about 7-2 8-1 in rounds very wide I thought oh, Ortiz was uh, winning those rounds easily so Wilder wasn't doing anything but nonetheless I thought it was a great victory he showed that risk he showed Hard, he showed he, he had to take the punch, he could take the punch, and he won. And I think uh, he he kind of needs that fight to get up. He, I don't think he wants to fight the likes of uh, 
Stavern and Brazil and guys like this over and over again. I think for him, I know I agree it's a risky fight, but he, he might want to step up to the plate and might actually bring out the best of Wilder. For Fury, I think if it's there, the opportunity, why not take it? But I haven't got too much to add on that. I just want one last, I think, uh, something we didn't touch upon. We forgot. Uh, what do you think about the Sean Porter and Danny Garcia fight? It just got announced. Official press conference was, uh, it got officially announced a press conference yesterday, I think, or the day before, sorry, on Monday. Uh, what do you think of the fight? I think it's a really good fight. Yeah, I, I'd agree. Good fight. Um, I think it's a, a crossroads fight for both of them. I think if I think Sean Porter hasn't got as much to lose as what Danny Garcia has in this situation. I think Sean Porter has already obviously had the defeats on his record previously, and I think Danny Garcia, obviously only the one defeat on his record, would have a lot more to lose in this one than Sean Porter would. So I think it's a it's a big risk for for Danny Garcia in this one, but it's a great fight for him, and it's really the only available competitive fight you can get at the moment. I don't think there's anyone else he could. Go Go out there and fight and, 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 and say it's a competitive one, you know, when he fought Brandon Rios, everyone was saying, well, Brandon Rios is past it, and he was, so you, you want to see him in a competitive one, and Sean Porter's a competitive fighter, and he's still got something left to give, so yeah, absolutely great fight to be made, and uh, another one to, to look forward to, and another who one... Do you, who do you favour, who do you favour, at the moment, when the fight is signed, who do uh, you favour? Garcia, I think Garcia for me, at the moment, I think Garcia beats really? him. Yeah. Oh, interesting, I, I, I kind of leaning towards Porter. Porter. Interesting. Mm, interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting one as well. I, I, I genuinely think um, I genuinely think Danny Garcia would beat him. I do. But, uh, but yeah, no, I think that's it's good to have that difference of opinion. I, I think uh, if we had the same opinion on everything, Hamed, I think it'd make for a for a boring <laughs> for a boring podcast, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think I'm just going to say one last thing. I'll chime in. I, I think Danny Garcia has got the one punch power to knock him out, to knock him down, and maybe <laughs> hit him. I just think Danny Garcia is way too inactive and I think Porter if he could rough him up again on the inside which he does I think Porter could smother Danny Garcia's work now don't get me wrong if the fight gets closer I might change my mind I think Porter should win this fight I think he's a bit more proven uh, has performed better against the majority of his caliber of opposition I thought he's unlucky against Cal Brook I thought that fight could have ended in a draw went the other way to Porter he was the champion I didn't think Brook did enough to win I thought it could have been a draw and against Freeman I thought he lost 7-5 I could easily see a draw I thought uh, that fight was really close and could easily have went the other way depending on how he scored the fight and Garcia I think he's lost a lot of uh, fights I think he did win officially I thought he lost to Peterson I thought he lost to Herrera I think arguably Theophane beat him as well actually Theophane uh, he, he was a good fighter 140 a welterweight I've not been too impressive I'm being honest I thought at 140 he had some very good wins over Lucas Matisse and uh, Amir Khan and I thought he he beat uh, you know a very experienced version of Morales in the first fight as well I thought that was an underrated win I walked to it uh, I'm not too convinced I think he, I thought he lost to Thurman convincingly I had about 9-3 in rounds I think I, I think it's much wider than the cards I think they had it way too close and uh, I think he's beaten guys that are way past their best like Paulie Malmaggi Robert Guerrero and uh, the guy he beat before Thurman which is basically a tune-up in Vargas so I'd probably say Porter but 
I would have ruled out Danny Garcia. I mean, Adrian Broner did uh, put, uh, put on the canvas. Uh, Porter has got an underrated chin, but I mean, Garcia has got one thing, which is a lot of power. I mean, the way he dropped Khan and Matisse, and if Porter runs or rushes into one of those shots, he could pay the price. Yeah, well, we're just going to have to wait and see. I mean, it's going to be uh, an interesting build-up for that, and we'll uh, we'll give a bit more of an in-depth analysis on their, their fights and their previous fights, I think, nearer the time. But, Hamed, I think it's... Uh, it's been two hours. Two hours we've been going on this, this episode. It's been a, a stacked episode, but I feel like we've covered a hell of a lot today. And uh, I am really, really uh, pleased to have talked a lot about the heavyweight scene today in such great detail because there's so much going on and exciting times for us uh, as, as fans and lovers of the sport. Ahmed, uh, anything more to add before we call it a no, day? No, uh, great to be back. Uh, pleasure to be on. And I look forward to the next episode. And I look forward to the fights of the weekend. Hopefully, uh, I don't think we touched up. Uh, hopefully, Kovalev and the Bival fight. And maybe the Alexander Brito fight card. Both those cards get picked up by one of the TV networks. Yeah. Uh, at the moment, I don't think it's on as UK TV. And it'll be a great team after the Mikey Garcia fight. Which got, uh, against Robert Easter, which got missed and not picked up by Box Nation and Sky Sports. I have to stream it. I hope I could be able to watch these fights on the television. But as for the show, I thought it was enjoy- very enjoyable. We covered everything and I hopefully we'll be back next week and hopefully we'll be speaking to you soon. Yeah, absolutely. Well, guys, it's been a pleasure as always. So you know what to do now. You need to follow us at BTR Boxing Pod on Twitter, Beyond the Ropes Boxing Podcast on Facebook. You know where to also find our main media platform, which is Eat, Sleep, Boxing, Repeat uh, on YouTube channel. Get subscribing on there. Like, share, subscribe. I always say this. Um, get onto the Instagram accounts. We're everywhere at the moment. So get following us, get liking, get sharing. The episode, please, please, please leave us some feedback. Rate, review and subscribe. Uh, really great episode. Really looking forward to getting back next week. And uh, as always, Hamad, it's been a pleasure. And uh, for the guys that are listening, thank you very much. And we'll speak to you next week. It is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.